right, Zig coming in at the top of the show. Today on the show, we have Alex Hall. You might know him from a number of projects, one of which being Alex Hall's Figurehead or Oliver Hall or uh, Summit Sky or Four Ohms. All right, this discussion was a good one. Um, Alex and I, and with Sea Level and um, Oliver Hall and uh, Figurehead, we've ran paths around each other, but I don't think we've ever come head to head. And it was really cool to spend a couple hours talking with him to kind of gauge like the same scene from a different angle. I really to Alex in a lot of ways with balancing um, teaching and going to school and running the band and running the trying to be creative at the same time. It's a lot to balance. It's a great privilege, but also a lot of work and a lot to keep straight in your brain and, and a lot of people to take care of. So it was interesting. It was really interesting to hear his story. Um, he's got a new album out called Johnny. It's a concept record with a really well-delivered narrative. I've, like, as far as concept records go, this is a really good one. You look at that album cover, and you hear the songs on the record, and it puts you directly in that mood. Um, so we're going to listen to one of those tracks here that started off. This is a dream in a nightmare's place off Johnny. It might be weird hearing a concept record and jumping right in the middle of it, but we talked about this one a lot in the conversation, so I think it's going to pay off.
I'm falling apart at the seams I'm drifting away just like my dreams Oliver Hall's figurehead, Johnny, the record, the song was Dream in a Nightmare's Place. Um, before we get into my chat with Alex, we got uh, to talk about Studio 44. Studio 44 CLE, or Studio 44 Cleveland, is the tip-top prime location you're going to need to make your shit sound good. If you want your podcast to sound as good as this one, or if you have streaming, video, audio, or any type of needs like that, make sure you hit up Studio 44 CLE or Studio 44 Cleveland. You can reach them at Studio44Cleveland at gmail.com or Studio44Cleveland on Facebook. Hit up Jay Sparrow. He'll make everything sound sweet. Um... And also, if you guys can like, subscribe, rate, review the podcast and all the podcast platforms, it helps me keep talking to super rad people like Alex and sharing their insights with you. Without further ado, here we go, my conversation with Alex. By the cat, by the cat tree? Yep, yep, <laughs> this, is the, this is the cat cave. <laughs> How's man, I have going? four cats, so I feel you, man. You got four? I have four, yeah. Nice. <laughs> I am a cat dad. Same. <laughs> I got two. I got to. Right on. It's, it's where, are, where are you right now? Are you in Cleveland? I'm outside. I'm about 20 minutes out. I'm in Olmstead. It's a little okay. uh, suburb outside of Cleveland. What about you? Where are you at? Cuyahoga Falls. Oh, dude, you're not that far. No, not that. Not that <laughs> nice. Far. I think we actually must have crossed paths, too, because Summit Sky, the bluegrass band I play in, right. uh, was at Negative Space one time. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. No, we definitely did. I, I booked you guys there. <laughs> um, wow. Okay, yeah, that was that's right. That's how that happened. Yeah. Right, because that was for the showcase, and I can't. Was it you guys yeah. in um Swamp Meat? Is that what? Or was it you guys in Maggie May? I can't remember. Is honestly anything pre-pandemic now feels like it was a million years ago. So like, I just I'm not really sure. Um, <laughs> I feel it. I remember it being really cool, honestly, and I don't just say that. <laughs> like, I, it was like. It was a really cool experience because at that time the band was really new and we were just kind of trying to do anything. And it like was a really just an awesome space to be in. Um, people there who really appreciated music, you know, enough to like seek it out. So it was just nice to have a little audience of people who cared. And, um, you know, that band's still going on. So Beautiful. Well, I appreciate yeah. that. Negative Space has this weird, um, and it's unintentional and slightly intentional, this weird way of starting, like, being everyone's first stop in the chain of things. Does that mean, like, a lot of people will, like, first oh. gigs will be there, or first art showings will be there. And it's, I, I don't, it, it's not intentional, but we seem to get that and embrace it at Negative Space. Like, uh, it, it, it's really weird, um, but it's cool, because, like, not everyone has that, that place that they can go. And Negative Space is this amazing atmosphere. Like, it's, uh, I, you've played plenty of gigs in all your projects and yeah. likewise and i like playing venues like negative space because of what yeah. you just said everyone's there for you for musically totally. musically they're there for what you're right. you're doing and it's yeah, not it's not about scene it's not about like clicks it's just it's like a you know like i say it's it's i mean it's an art gallery and like music is art and it's a you know place people go to appreciate art and like for the sake of art so i mean that's and that's really important to me as, as an artist, um, meaning musician. Um, but I mean, I think just like in terms of like culture, 
Like right. we need that kind of thing, you know, Definitely. Um, especially right now. So, yeah. Yeah. This is, how's it been? How have you been holding up? Well, I mean, you know, I guess about as good as anybody, uh, pre pandemic. Um, so I was teaching, um, at Kent state. Oh, cool. Uh, what do you teach? I, I teach English. Well, I oh, don't okay. anymore. I, I, um, in 2013, I got my PhD at Kent state in English and I Congrats, like man. was teaching basically from the time I graduated with my undergrad in 2007, um, all the way up until I got my PhD in 13. Um, but there was really no difference between the teacher teaching I was doing while I was still a student and the teaching I was doing after I had my degree. Um, so there was, it was pretty seamless. I kept teaching all the way through to, uh, um, well, until, until last semester or the spring semester of 2020, um, you know, things hit, hit the fan in March and I, uh, finished out that semester online and then I decided not to go back. Right. Um, so I was actually door dashing man, and doing like yeah. side hustle stuff. Um, and you know, for obvious reasons that was busy. Um, my wife was working from home and, um, she got let go after about a year just because of, you know, there not being a need for her because of the pandemic. What's she um, do? Same type of teach? Just kind of an office job. Yeah. Okay. Um, she's an office manager, kind of like the person who runs the show behind the scenes sort of thing. That's um, important. Yeah. And, um, so that actually happened in October. Um, so we had just kind of been like living the like, you know, we have twin daughters who were sick. So we had been living the like, um, educate your kids at home, work from home life from about March through to um, October. She uh, lost her job. She picked up a temp job that went away pretty fast. Um, and then I was lucky enough on February 1st to start a new job um, in government. So, um, so, you know, it, it's, it, it's had its ups and downs like everybody. Um, but we have not had any like major struggles as far as like, um, you know, putting food on the table or anything like that. Lucky for us. Cause a lot of people have, um, and Cuyahoga falls is a reasonable community in terms of like the cost of living and stuff. Yeah. Um, we own our own, our, we own our own house. I mean, so, you know, uh, I guess I would say the things that have been really difficult have just been like not being able to play shows, not being able to like get together with our friends, not being able to like go out to a restaurant, those kinds of things. So they don't seem like a big deal, but like taken together, they do have an impact, you know? Definitely. So. Well, that's, that's the, the culture of normacy. You know what I mean? Like normally what do you, when on a date, what do you do? You go eat. You know what I mean? You sustain life. We do this in this place. <laughs> like, it's a it's interesting when you take all that away. Like, it's cool that you. I mean, congrats on getting your PhD. That's a big deal. And owning your house, and twins. <laughs> well, man. we don't own it outright. The bank owns it. We just pay them. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, those are big steps, and that's a lot of stress when you got to cover that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Now, the the gig you got with the government. Are you teaching, or or is no, it just... it's not a teaching okay. job. So it's it's communications basically. Okay. Um. So, yeah. I'm real happy there. Um, I've done a lot of stuff like volunteer wise in my community and, um, made a lot of like good connections that way. And, um, I guess just showed the right people 
what I was capable of and got their trust so that I could um, find myself a position that was suited to my, um, my talents, you know, um, or at least some of my talents. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm glad to be there. I've only been doing that for about two months now. Um, but, uh, it's kind of turned my world upside down because like, I never, I mean, you're a musician too. Like, yeah, you get to a point where you really, you, you, you look around and all your friends are like married and have like regular jobs and like kids and all that stuff. And like, I had like done the marriage and the kids part, but I did it like the, we didn't have kids. I'm 40. So we had kids when I was 34 when my wife was 39. And most of our friends by that time had kids like long right. before that. <laughs> They're like, so, like I knew people who are my age who have kids that have graduated from high school. Like, you know, it's just crazy. It is. It's, it's weird to have like the, well, how old are your kids now? They're six. Six? Okay. Twins, yeah. Twins. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's. <laughs> it's weird to see, like, the, this constant reminder of how old you are. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Based on how old they are. But that it's... Well, it, that, that was the thing was that I never really had, like, an adult job. You know what I mean? Because right. being a musician, it was like, when you're a musician and you're trying to work, it's like you have to put all this effort into it, like, every minute. You know, like, you're on social media, like, pumping up your show and trying to get another gig and, you know, at the same time, like rehearsing with your band and writing new music and um, doing all that stuff. And it's like, it's really, it's, it's, it's a hustle all of its own. People don't realize like how much really goes into being any kind of an artist, but a musician in particular, when you have to like put on events, like every week, sometimes a couple times a week, you know, um, booking gigs, all that stuff. And so I never really had like what I consider to be an adult job. So now here I am working a Monday through Friday, normal kind of gig. And, you know, it's, it's, it's new to me and every, yet everybody around me who works there is just kind of like, yeah, you know, this has been our lives for 10, 20, 30 years, right. you know, so but that yeah. in a way that kind of seems like it would make it fresh. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like a lot mm-hmm. of like, I, I, cause my day job's pretty rad. I'm a music teacher, right? So yeah, I yeah. get to like, I've been incorpor- listening to the show. Oh, okay, cool. Thank you. I appreciate that. But, um, yeah. so like. I get to have fun doing my gig and then like, but it encompasses everything else outside. You know what I mean? Like I'm not going to go in and teach something I don't know how to do, or I wouldn't teach it the wrong, you know, I wouldn't teach something just for the sake of teaching it if I didn't do it. And like, so in this way I get to have like this adult job and like get the, the adult benefits of stuff and have that Monday thing and like Monday through Friday thing where you're in there and like, but the whole reason I'm bringing this up is, like, there would be times where I'm like, man, it might be cool to not have to always be stressed out. Even though it's all this fun, like, you got to come up with everything. It's like you got to prep. All this stuff goes into the gig just like everything goes into the lesson. And, like, you know from teaching on your end how much goes, how much BS you have to do just to teach the lesson. And, like, which is, you know, needed, rightly so. But, um, like... There'd be times, there are going to be some cat sounds probably. Um, There'll be times <laughs> where I'm just like, man, it'd be sick just to do something where I don't have to think and just do. You know what I mean? And then later, yeah. that's when you do the thing. But I don't know. Like, personally, I, f- I, I find myself like, if I was in that situation, it'd be sick for like a week. And then I'd be like, what am I doing with my life? Like, <laughs> well, there's definitely a lot of that second guessing going on. Like, you know, 
the kind of like rock musician in you wants to like just like tear everything down you know flip yeah. the tables <laughs> but like but you know the dad the right the, the you know the, the professional the like all the other things that you need to be to survive you know in so many different ways um sort of just like takes over and I don't know, man. It's different because, like, I remember when I was like, like probably twenty or something. I did an internship in an office. Um, like, I was working in a pizza place, and it was a pizza place that had like forty locations um, in like the Southwest Ohio area. And they they were offering an internship in their office in the marketing department. And I was twenty years old, and I was in college. And that was it. Was actually would have been later than that. Anyway, it doesn't matter. I've I never had any kind of job like that. I like, I got the internship um, and went in there and did it um, for a couple months and I despised it. Like I just, and I sabotaged myself. Like I just, I, I systematically made myself likable and like did all the wrong things. And when I told him I was going to leave, I think it was a relief for them and me, you know? Right. Um, and it was all nice. Like everybody was nice about it, but I think it was pretty clear that I wasn't a fit there and, you know, and I knew that I didn't want to be there. Um, so part of me worried that I would come into this experience feeling kind of that way. But what's nice about what I do is that it's kind of a different thing every day. It right. could be like using Adobe Acrobat Pro DC to make a form fillable. Right. That's <laughs> or it could be like composing a press release or, you know, something like that. So, um, having it be something different every day and coming to the end of the day and feeling like I'd accomplished something is really, is really works for me on like a, like a, like in terms of my work ethic. Um, the other thing though, is that like, and this kind of goes off what you were saying a second ago is that it, you can really compartmentalize your life so that like when I leave work, I don't have to think about work anymore. And that's new to me because I've never had a job where I could just like, you know, like, walk out of my office and like forget about the job until the next day. Right. Um, I remember being in graduate school and like telling my wife, like we'd it'd be Friday night, we'd be like watching TV or something, drinking beer. And I'd be like, I feel guilty that I'm not working right now. You know, and yeah. she'd be like, you got to take time off. And I'm like, yeah, but <laughs> you know, right. Um, that's it's, it's so, that, sorry to cut you, but um, I agree no, with that so much that, that, when you work for your own hustle, whatever it is, if it's music or your bakery or or your your painter, your your painting, that's why you know you mm -hmm. paint. But <laughs> whatever <Right. laughs> it is, when you're the the press agent, the booking agent, the everything, and like everything relies on you. You know what I mean? Like when you're not pushing that, you're just especially if you kind of get a dopamine reward out of that type of success. Like I accomplished a thing. Right. So much of yeah. like what you learn through that music uh, mentality of putting together your own show, managing your band, like so much of that sounds like it pays off into what you're doing now. Like that's like shit you've been used to doing in, in maybe a, a, a smaller range and like a less professional range because it was all on you. Right. And so your standards are your standards. But like it, it, it's when it gets to doing it yourself, like you feel guilty because there's so much. And when that, that dopamine spike is that, that opportunity, right? You're like, Oh, the thing. And like, you can be like, sweet. I got us a, a song on a college radio. Don't we are nowhere near, or I booked us this gig. Like these little mind, like mini goals that you accomplish, like 
make that make so much sense if that you know uh, it's i know what you're saying and, and you're right i but also like sometimes the thing can end up being as thingy as you want it to be like as you expected it to be like <laughs> right, right 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 whatever the achievement is doesn't have the same like you know perks or the same satisfaction you know that you thought it was going to have like um I, I i used to play in um oliver hall um as i think you know and like uh, I remember we were playing a, a, a set at a festival in um, like North Carolina or something, South right. Carolina, somewhere. And I remember <laughs> that the band The Works, which is like this huge band um, in the jam band world, were there. And I knew those guys before they were like the big successful band that they are now because um, I'm from Cincinnati originally. And, uh, you know, like Chris... Um, the guitar player from that band um, that everybody knows, he's like the Trey Anastasia, the Jerry Garcia, the, the, the whatever you want to say, guitar player of that group. Um, he used to come see bands that I was in when I lived in Cincinnati. Oh, no shit. Before he was even in a band. Yeah, and then like... And then, what were those bands? You know, they had... Uh, well, Four Ohms was the, the main one in Cincinnati. We were called Four Ohms. We released one album. We were together from like... 99 to like 04 um and had a, a fair amount of regional success we released one album that's like a beloved cincinnati rock album nice so if you're yeah if you go to cincinnati it, like the guy who runs down for the Rumpke mountain boys or at least who used to a long time ago used to always play our record like on their set bricks and stuff and he, every time he would see me he'd be like man i still play that album you know um <laughs> people down there love that album and so chris would come out to see like the the Magi, which um, we we would play with sometimes. They were out of Dayton. Dayton's only like 45 minutes from Cincinnati, so we had like some crossover and stuff. So he would be around for some of those shows. Canal Street Tavern was a really cool venue we'd go to. And he'd show up there, and then he had other bands that he played in in Dayton before he met the guys that eventually became the Works. Well, two of those guys were brothers. These these Greek dudes named um, Norman and Dino Demetrioleus, and Norman and, and, and Dino had been in the Magi. They kind of had started the Magi. So Forums always played with them and whatever. Um, so when Norman and Dino ended up in the works, like um, I was able to like get in the show and sometimes we even opened for them and like I would hang out. And I uh, at one point sat in with them on a Halloween show that was like wall to wall at the Beachland. I got to sit in on one of their songs. It was awesome. Um, just really nice guys too. Um, Dino eventually left the group and Norman unfortunately passed away um, some years back. But I remember seeing Norman at the show in the South one time. Um, he was, he was packing up his keyboards after set. They played this monster set with like, you know, a thousand people watching, just like everybody hanging on every note. And he got done with their set and Norman's packing up his gear. And uh, I walked up and was saying hi to him. And he looked at me and he said, man, no matter what level you get to, no matter what you think the big next step is, it's never going to be the, the, the release that you think it is. What he meant was like, there's, you're never going to play a show that's going to be like the taking off point. He's mm. like, every little thing you do along the way is going to matter to some degree, but nothing is ever going to have the, like, the catharsis you know, in terms of your success that you think it will. Like, if you think that playing at this bar on Friday night 
is going to be the thing that really gets you where you want to go. It won't be, you know, but it's a step on the ladder. Gotcha. And I, that's, I think that's kind of what I mean when I said, like, it, sometimes the thing isn't as thingy. Yeah. <laughs> as you, as you th- it's going to be. You know? It's like, it's like yeah, you, you reached, you achieved the thing that you thought was going to be what you needed to do to get to where you wanted to be. But it ended up just being like one, you know, section of one rung on the bottom of the ladder. <laughs> right, right. Well, no, that makes sense because success, like if you would measure it, it's perseverance that equals success. Like the longer you keep at a thing, the more success you would see, especially in the jam band kind of realm because um, there's so much and so many different like subsects of it, right? Like, yeah. and it's cool because it's so flexible. It can, can happen anywhere. And that crowd for the most part seems to be welcoming like i don't really feel like age they're done with whatever yeah yeah, age isn't really a factor and like i mean i could be unfortunately sometimes like quality of product isn't a factor either right right well there you go like if if you (laughs) it sounds totally shitty but like you know we've all seen a really shitty jam band at a festival (laughs) and we've probably all been there (laughs) no yeah, I've but certainly no, been in them too. Yeah, yeah, and and it's it's interesting because like a, it's vast and welcoming, and but it does allow that, and like I don't I don't know. So you know when you're in that scene and you're killing it because you you can gauge the response. It's the typical response, but if yeah. you don't get that response, then you're like, oh fuck, <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, because they're not afraid to like whoop and yeah, and holler whenever you're crushing it. Yeah, but <laughs> I had those moments. I mean, I, when I say like you know sometimes the bands are not good bands, like, right? And I say I was in those bands. It doesn't even necessarily mean that the band I was in, I was in sucked. Maybe it did. Right. But it, pro- it more likely it sucked that night, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's the other thing with jam bands, too. It's so – it can be an amazing night or an awful night because a lot of it is improv, you know? And, like – which is totally cool. But if you're if someone's not – if the drummer's not listening and when you typically know we're going to go change a groove or whatever and he misses it or if you hit your pedal wrong, yeah. you know what I mean? Like – so much of that that can change the vibe of a thing and crash it because it's such a special thing being captured already. And, like, jam band uh, fans know that. Like, they take in what's happening in the moment and realize this is, like, happening now. There's That's, I guess, maybe, like, the magic of the jam band realm is taking... Yeah, there's in... this sense... I mean, I'm, I've, I'm, like, pretty far outside the jam band scene now. Right. Um, but, like, there was a sense that like if you were at a fish concert like no matter what city it was in what part of the tour it was on there was a sense that like you were like somehow a part of rock history for being there that night when they played that song and had that particular jam right or that guest musician come out or that cover that they'd never played before or yeah you know the longest ever you enjoyed myself or you know was um you felt that way and that that energy really translated. I read this really cool book. Um, it was written by the guy who um, runs the AV club for the onion. Okay. Um, and it was called, you don't know me and you don't like me. And basically the guy spent a year following ICP yeah. <laughs> and fish. Okay. <laughs> and like basically his assessment came down to like there being like a family vibe amongst all these people but he really got turned on to fish and it was largely because he embraced drugs um and like i know that's a cliche to say like you know jam bands are drug music but like even when i was in jam bands like i used to call it drug music 
and I wasn't doing drugs. Like, I mean, I, you know, I certainly like used to be young, but like right. at the height of Oliver Hall, for instance, like, like I didn't do really any of the drugs, like, you know, like beyond like drinking. Well, um, and even then, like, like I was like, I can't have too many before I start. Cause I gotta, you know, um, so, I mean, that was real, like, um, that like, you know, he, he got, he became as enamored with fish and its vibe as he did. He admits in the book because of the drugs. Um, but you know, sometimes that enhancement of music really says more about the drugs and the people than it does about the music. Right. Um, so I, you know, I don't begrudge anybody like being young and having fun and, and enjoying life and music and stuff like, you know, do your thing. Um, but I just have since kind of like moved away from it. Um, but you're right. I mean, it's, it's a lot of improv and it's a lot of, it's, if really, I used to describe being in a jam band, um, as being like, you know, like, like jazz with a rock framework, right? you know? Um, and there, I think there's a lot of truth to that. And the best jam bands seem to be the ones that are comprised of dudes who could play jazz, you know, in another band that same night after they leave the gig, you know, Definitely. um, like figurehead that band. I mean, I call it Alex Hall's figurehead. Now there's a history we can talk about if you want, but like at a certain point, the live group figurehead, um, had musicians that came out of Dana school of music in Youngstown who were like top notch, man. And like, if they had like left me at the gig and gone next door, they could have played a jazz set and like blew everybody's mind, you know? Um, and their ability to do that, I think was what made figurehead so good. And what really gave me a lot of the inspiration to make this band, what it became right. and what it like has lived on as, you know, as basically just like my personal outlet for music. So, well, the figurehead, the band is tight, man. I've been so I've been trying to do a deep dive on everything, and I've been going through all the figurehead records okay. and the, the Oliver Hall records. So let's kind of let's take a step back, and what got a guitar sure. in your hand? When did this all start? Yeah, when did uh, music become a thing for <laughs> you, a, a, a way to express? Um, so when I was like in kindergarten, it became it it came to my attention that there was a guitar in my house. Right. In a closet, in a case, <laughs> in a kindergarten book. <laughs> okay. Well, <laughs> that's awesome. And, and so I just was like, you know, it was like I'm five years old. I'm begging my mother to let me play the guitar. And of course, being five years old, she's like, you're not going anywhere near a delicate, expensive piece of musical equipment. Um, but after a lot of haranguing, she eventually would like let me play with it under strict supervision. And over the as time went on, you know, there was less and less supervision because I could be trusted. Right. I could read, so I could start to like read the book and like learn the chords, and you know. Um, and when I was just before I started the fourth grade, um, we moved to a new city. We had like I was born in Hamilton, which is like close to Cincinnati. Okay. And um, we lived there until I was like in like halfway through kindergarten. Then we moved to another part of Cincinnati, and then we finished. I finished kindergarten. We moved to Washington D.C. My dad was involved with a veterans organization who he worked for. They wanted him to work out there. So we moved to D.C. We lived there for um, like two and a half years and then came back and had to live with my grandmother for like the end of that school year, at which point my dad found a job and we bought a house. For the summer between my third grade and fourth grade year, 
my brother, who's four years older than I am, and me were in this house by ourselves every day with our parents at work. Mm. And my parents had a collection of vinyl that they never touched. I mean, it, it almost seemed as if some of the records had come to them, you know, because somebody handed them to them and they never even listened to them. I'm talking Led Zeppelin Three, Magical Mystery Tour, nice. LA Woman. Um, they had uh, like the Woodstock album um, recording. They had um, a lot of shit also like that I would never touch. <laughs> uh, but, but they had many, many just fantastic records. I remember listening to like Iron Butterfly and like all kinds of stuff. And that was like, okay, I know I have this guitar. I want to be able to do that. So I need lessons. And then, um, let's see, if I was in the fourth grade, that would have made it um, 89. So it wasn't too long after that that Nirvana became a thing. Um, and at that Nirvana, before they got, I don't know how old you are, but like before Nirvana got to be like the international superstars they were, like they were like the Beatles at one point. Right. Um, before that happened, they were on Headbangers Ball. Oh, every shit. weekend on MTV. Yeah. It was like they were playing Smells Like Teen Spirit. Yeah, they were playing Smells Like Teen Spirit on Headbangers Ball next to Slayer and Sepultura. And like, I mean, it was like Megadeth, Hangar 18, um, Injustice for All, like one, you know, um, War Ensemble by Slayer. And then like they would play some of the like lighter stuff, which at that time included Smells Like Teen Spirit. And my brother and I liked the song. And of course, as everybody knows, it just blew up. So as a co with a combination of like that summer of listening to records and then Smells Like Teen Spirit blowing up, me getting into Nirvana, it was like, okay, I want real guitar lessons. So for Christmas one year, my mom got me guitar lessons. She prepaid four of them. I remember they were, um, they were $17 for a half hour. Okay. Um, which is affordable. not that much less yeah. than they are now, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately for guitar teachers. Right. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I went to a guy named Adrian Martin. He's still out there teaching guitar. He lives in Seattle now, of all things. We were living near Oxford, Ohio, which is where okay. Miami University is. I don't know why Adrian ended up in Seattle, but that's where he is now. Um, as far as I know, still playing music, still giving guitar lessons. He was my first, like, real guitar teacher and I didn't want to learn theory. To right. me, I didn't want to play fucking three blind mice. You know, like, it was like, tell me how to play Smells Like Teen Spirit. So I basically just learned songs right. um, with tablature and all that. And um, and I just, you know, put it down and picked it up a lot over the years. I think I was in high school when I, I think I sold, I had a, like, a, like an Epiphone Les Paul and a little amp that I sold along with some comic books just for money, you know stupidly but i still had the acoustic same acoustic i had when i was in kindergarten and um i learned i got into pink floyd um in high school i learned how to play a couple of things and i was did a friend weekend and there was this dude there who everybody saw as like mr guitar player like this dude like his thing was he plays guitar and he played wish you were here on guitar i knew the song right because i love pink floyd but i never played, tried playing it but because my background was in basically listening to a guy figure out how to play a song so I could go home and learn it, yeah. I had gotten real good at figuring out songs. Mm. Okay. So right after he played it, I played it. And they were like, have you ever played that before? And I was like, no. And they were like, whoa. And I, to me, it didn't, I didn't realize that that was like a skill that was impressive or anything. It was just 
how I kind of like would learn stuff by ear and figure it out and play it. And that's what I did. So shortly after that, I had a couple friends that I played guitar with like regularly. I got into the Grateful Dead and we would play like have like acoustic jam sessions um, when I was like a senior in high school. And I kept doing that. I went on tour with the the post Jerry Garcia Grateful Dead incarnations um, when I graduated high school. And That's I picked sick. up a couple things on the road, just listening to cats out there play and like playing um, with them on tour. Yeah, just like okay. people in the parking lot, like just you know, random dudes from. Here's a guy from North Dakota who's right. on tour with the Dead, and has got his own guitar thing going on, and he showed me something, and you know. That's um, sick. And then, like, I got into fish, like, um, you know, when I got back from that first tour in '98. Um, and I, so I started seeing them a lot and getting into their music and, um, yeah. And then, so like I say, in, in nine, sometime that, I think that summer there was like a keg band, um, that's what I call it, keg band. <laughs> um, and we played all the parties, um, that the cops would come and break up, you know? Yeah. Um, and I played that's bass what... in that group. Okay. Everybody's played in that band, right? Everybody's been in that band at least one yeah. time when they're playing as far... the keg band. Uh, you got the gig band you got the bass gig you know what i mean when you play guitar you have to you have to do your time and and sit on the sideline for a minute right yeah well and i you know nobody i started playing bass in that band solely because nobody else would exactly like, you do your time somebody could play drums somebody could play guitar and i was like well i mean i i could play bass i guess and that's you know i probably played with a pick like you know i know professionals do that too but you know it's just like using guitar technique to play bass and um and that band eventually like morphed into a bigger band, which morphed into an even bigger band, which became like the forums that released Big White Truck, the album. And um, um, but I really wasn't that great of a guitar player, even all that time. I was all rhythm, you know. I was more of a lyricist and a songwriter than I was, you know, like a, a principal, like a like a lead singer or lead guitar player or anything like that. And um. And so I just really developed my take. By the end of forums, I was starting to write songs that were more complex because I was writing on a piano and um, wanting to play more like guitar solos and stuff. And um, when forums broke up, um, basically just due to some sort of just apathy, really, right. from some of the members, um, which you ha you just have. Um, I had a band for a while called Cats Walking Backwards, which was just sort of a, a holdover. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, and that I, I moved to Arkansas when I graduated college in 07. Um, so I guess cats walking backwards was together for like two, maybe three years. And then I moved to Arkansas. I didn't play music at all when I was working on my master's degree. Um, at, at least not as like a band. Yeah. Like I, I jammed with one guy in a venue one time, um, to support <laughs> a solo thing that he had going on. Um, that was it. um, but I've missed it so hard. And when I got accepted to Kent State University and made plans to move back here, like I, I started really researching the scene um, in Akron and Kent and um, trying to sort of understand it um, and moved up here. And by winter of 2010, I had a little group lined up playing some new stuff, some old stuff um, that was called Oliver Hall and my brother came up with that name because my one of my middle name i have two middle names one of my middle names is oliver 
Oh, okay. Um, I didn't want to be Alex Hall band, but I kind of right. wanted it to be my thing, you know. Right. Um, that makes sense. I was always, I was like, that, I, I, it's there, it's there, but where's the play? <laughs> okay, it's the middle yeah. name. Nice. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I, you know, most people up here, um, at least in that scene, know who Oliver Hall was. We were together. Um, I think the band that most people remember Oliver Hall as really did, didn't take effect until. Um, probably like December of like 11. Okay. And then by 12, it could have been actually earlier, maybe December of 10. Um, and then by like, by 2012, 2000, I think it was 2012, we were, we were playing in Colorado and we ended up playing like 20 plus states and like really That's doing sick. our thing. And yeah. Road dogging. Was, yeah. I, 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 I still really think of it as like a rusty jam band, like not rusty in like a like unpracticed way, but right. like a rust belt jam band okay. so we were a little grittier and like you had um maybe was it you that had road no it's a different show as since you had had matt Rhodes on from tropodelic i think oh and, no i had Rhodes. Rhodes was on oh, was that, that was yeah, yeah yeah i mean i played i sat in with them a couple of different times um over the years and like you know Rhodes, very very dedicated musician um his attitude about using whoever you could find regardless of their ability um, was, I was sort of the opposite of that. I really wanted guys who could play. Right. Um, I was really focused on the music. I hated playing the same set and the same songs every night. I didn't want to be involved with the business at all. Um, I wanted it to be really a secondary thing to the music, but when it got to a certain level, it was just like, all we could think about was like, you know, contracts and tour dates and managers and like, and we were really low level still for that to even be the case, which means it was just going to get worse. Right. Um, there were politics, you know, in the band and surrounding the band that were just making me like squirm. And, um, you know, in hindsight, a lot of the issues that the guys in the band had with me were legit. Whereas I think I, a lot of the issues I had with the band were also legit. I'm, on good terms with everybody now, but um, I, uh, I just like, I just out. Um, we got back from a Colorado tour and I was like, done. Um, gotta go. We had released, uh, I had released an Oliver Hall EP before any of those guys were in the band. Then we released. Um, that was a, like kind of live one. Like the, those tracks were like, uh, that was before, uh, uh, I'm trying to think of what your first record was called. Um, First record was Welcome to Oliver Hall. Right. But there's there... a white one that's just got like blue lettering on it. Yeah. It just says Oliver Hall. That was the first ever like professionally recorded Oliver Hall stuff. Okay. And that the only person that was in the band with me at that time, um, who was still in the band when I left was me. <laughs> um, <laughs> and and like and they were great musicians actually too, but um yeah, no, Spencer Cutlet hung around. Go ahead. Oh no, sorry. I was just saying the band was tight. Did I lose you? Oh, I uh, thought you said wait. <laughs> wait, no, yeah, no. no, it, no it, I liked that era of the group. We did a lot more like we did a lot more like spacey sort of like out there stuff at that time. And then I just needed people who could like show up at a gig, like outside of like a weekly gig in a bar. Right. Um, so I went through a couple of different members. I ended up with Jim Tauscher, who had tried out for the band at one point and it wasn't able to sort of like commit. He came back. Um, we had a bass player. Same thing happened. But he came back. 
And then um, we got this dude named Matt Johnson um, to come play drums. We knew him as Bones. And um, and that was a fun little group. We recorded Welcome to Oliver Hall. We added very briefly a piano player named Pauli Silviti. Um, and he jammed with us. And we we, uh, we had that live album. Um, and then uh, we put out uh, Chasing the Rain toward the end. Um, and that's what we were oh okay okay stopped the kind of i've been i've been thinking about that first uh welcome to oliver hall in that on Mm -hmm. that record i keep hitting my mic fuck on that record (laughs) on that record there's like these interludes in between the whb right Uh um what i've been trying to figure out what that connection is because i feel like One's like an adaptation of each, right? Like it feels like it's one groove, and then there's like kind of yeah. a more punk version of it, and then a spacier version. Yeah. <laughs> and this may be me trying to overanalyze it and be like, does it? No, sh- you're absolutely right. Uh, does it shift so, keys? <laughs> like what's? So look, man, my so when I we when I would listen to Abbey Road, and you never give me your money would come back with the orchestra. Right. It would just chill my spine, you know. Like I just I could not ever. I still just thinking about it. <laughs> Um, I just am a sucker for a reprise and, and a concept record. Like the wall just blew me away the first time I heard it to have a story go across and Tommy and all that shit. I just, I love it so much. So I wanted to bring the songs together in some way. And so the idea was the IWBH stands for I want to be high. Um, <laughs> we had like a, we had a, <laughs> we had a funk version of the song that we would play as a complete tune right. live. Um, but you know, on the record, it was like, the idea was that like each one of the tunes represented a different kind of like drug that somebody might use. And it wasn't because I was big into drugs because I wasn't what it was more like we could use drugs as an analogy to show how people sort of like, you know, relate to, it. um, well, to, how, be, to show how people sort of become numb to things about society. Oh, okay. And I mean, at that point in my career, everything I wrote lyric wise was abstract and political. So it wouldn't seem political to anybody but me, but that was where I was. It was all coming from gotcha. like broken impressions, you know, that's a good song. It's like, it's a dystopian thing, broken yeah. impressions, drawn back reflections, then fear. And I'm picturing like, you know, like some, you know, like, Nazi equivalent, like, you know, keeping people down, um, haze overhead of rhetoric fed disappears, uh, like people yeah. actually like thrown off helicopters, like Augusto Pinochet, they in Chile and like all that stuff, just cause I was so into, you know, history and critical theory and politics and all that stuff. And, um, so that's what that is, is each one of those represents a drug, the way people use drugs to numb themselves from their everyday lives, just as much as they might use you know, other things to numb themselves from, you know, things about society and that are, that are messed up or whatever too. Um, so you have the, I think one of them was real funky in my mind. That was kind of like alcohol, right? Okay. Like one of them was real spacey in my mind. That was kind of like, you know, some kind of like hallucinogens or something. There's a really, really fast one, which would have been coffee because we were drinking Red Bull and coffee and shit, but it was really more like any kind of speed. Right. Um, so yeah, that's what that was, and, that's and cool. it was Welcome to Oliver Hall because it was like those guys had been in the band for a while, and I felt like this isn't the Alex Hall band, so let's make Oliver Hall a place, you know, that you can come to and like experience like what we do right. as a as a whole, 
to really bring the members of the band in to be an equal part instead of being supporting musicians. Right. I was right. real keen on that. Um, and, um, and that was kind of how that, that all got together. Was that, that culture huh. makes a huge difference with how the band is. You know what I mean? If it's yeah. a hall, if it's a hall where we gather to talk about and uh, 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 share where we're coming from, as opposed to like how you're saying, just a supporting of the name, that's completely different. And yeah. That's a, that's a really cool play on words too. And I'm trying to remember this whole time you're you you you're going for English and you're really in the writing and history and reading at the same time, like. Yeah. That, like I knew those tracks had to be something. I'm like, this no one just does that and has like a kind of a reprise like that without having some type of intent. And like uh, I get with the the figurehead stuff, I see way more of a concept records come together. Um, but before we get to that, like so there's kind of like these internal politics, and it's interesting that like that that kind of dissolved Oliver Hall, right? Um. Oh well, I'm nah. look. I I made the decision to leave. Okay. Um, I just I came back from a, a tour in Colorado, um, that was really difficult. Being on the road is hard. Yeah. People think being in a rock band is like all fucking getting drunk and having you know, fun. Like, yeah, whatever. It's 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 more like you're getting drunk and doing other stuff to like like hold the like the the sort of, I mean. You wouldn't want to like the people in your band become your siblings, right? And like anybody who has siblings know you don't want to be around your siblings all the time. Um, if you were around all your siblings all the time, then that would be frustrating. Now take that frustrating, you know, analogy or uh, hy hy hypothetical, and and put it in a van. <laughs> So now that not only are you together, you're together in close quarters, driving across the country, and you're all creative. So you're fighting about what you're going to do once you get there, right? You know, to to express yourself, and it's it's just very very difficult. And there's something you said earlier that I think is really true that I want to revisit is 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 the secret to the success in a band is longevity. Yeah, perseverance. Um, so you just keep on trucking. Perseverance. I say longevity, but yeah, like okay. it's both. I mean, okay. yeah, it doesn't yeah. matter. It doesn't matter what you do, but the longer you do it, the more likely it is you're gonna succeed. Because, I mean, you look at Tropodelic. They've been around. They were around when Oliver Hall was doing its thing, and before that, I think maybe. Right. Because um, he talked about being playing at Robin Hood and stuff, and look at them now. You know, they're like they're nationally successful at getting these um, collaborations with big artists and stuff, and more power to them. Right. Um, and that's where Rhodes is right. Like it, you know you get the people who are driven to do the same. Right. Um, but it was just, it was just very difficult. Um, as, as close of friends as I was with those guys, I also felt kind of far away from them. Um, two of them lived together. One of them sort of like lived there. He would stay there a lot and stuff. Um, you know, in the end of the four that we had. Um, and, uh, I just kind of felt like an outsider. I was married, um, going to school. Right. And all of that all these... teaching, um, and uh, <laughs> shit, yeah, that would definitely make those tours way. Hard no, it's work. like it was, yeah. And I like so I basically like um, coming home from that one tour. Like I, I remember my friend had come with us to be our our, our like road manager, like for sound. Like he was running sound at all the shows, and we had a tour manager who rolled with us too. And um, 
And uh, I just, I was ready to leave, like, as soon as we got home. I remember we got back, and there was, like, a foot of snow on the ground, and my car was stuck in the parking lot at the person's apartment where we'd left from, and I was just already so frustrated. And my friend, to his credit, was like, sleep on it, man. And I was like, all right, fine. So I did. And uh, I woke up the next day, and I was like, okay, I'm not going to do that. And then um, just, like, an hour later, got into another fight with, with one of the guys in the band over a scheduling thing. Um, that was causing some issues at home. Um, that, so yeah, that uh, I pieced out. I just was like, I, I ghosted him. I like, I, I turned off my phone. I told him, you know, basically to fuck off, and right. but I didn't want to be in the band. Anymore. So that was me. And the reason they kept the name Oliver Hall is because I told him straight up, like, I made the decision to, to to leave the band. I don't want you to play my songs, but I'm not going to tell you whether or not you can use the name. Gotcha. It was a dick move. I mean, it was like, right. but I, I just, I was done. I had to go. And, um, and I did. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that it the when you were managing stuff at home and on the road, like yeah. when and and you're doing a full time school career and teaching, and yeah. like have a stable home life that you have to maintain, like yeah. it's a really, there was a lot going on. I mean, right. it, there was other stuff too, but it was. Yeah, it was a lot. It really was. And I mean, I should have known that. It's real easy to like be blinded by your own bullshit and right. look back and realize, oh, I was actually like, you know, dealing with something, you know, right. psychologically that I didn't know in the moment I was dealing with. But, you know, I mean, it with, is what it is. Just with those three things on top of running a tour, and I don't know how much of the uh, booking or how much of that fell upon you, right? How much of all the leadership role did maybe it was distributed but even if it if even if you were slightly involved with those four heavy hits like that's yeah. gonna fuck your shit up mentally because yeah it was it, tough <laughs> it, it, it's tending way too many gardens and like well it, and being creative too like I right mean, I, like we had chasing the rain was like another concept album practically we had two songs on the record that i hadn't written i really wanted to be able to showcase you know the other guys right. stuff um, and I felt like I was trying to like creatively support them, but, um, I wasn't supporting the business and I was, I was, I was mad a lot. A lot of it was me. Um, I think that I was in the right on certain issues I had, but, you know, I, I recognized that I definitely, you know, provided some of the powder for the keg, you know? Well, um, I mean, and that's huge now being able to look back and see it. You know what I mean? Being able to analyze, it's like listening to a recording of yourself, like, fuck, I need to punch in here and fix that up. But knowing yeah. that you have to do it is a big deal. That's the only way you move from it. And, like, that validates the experience and the anger that you had because you, you know what I mean, that you realize those quirks you had to iron out. Yeah. But, I mean, the good news was that, like, I mean, we, we started this part of the conversation talking about kind of where I came from musically. Right. I mean, um, you know, Oliver Hall was 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 fun musically, like playing in that band and playing to a packed house every night. Like when we would play locally and regionally, especially, it was just awesome. Right. When we were only playing shows at the Kent stage that were like tons of people. It was just it was it was a great feeling, you know. It's nothing like it. People who've never experienced like, you know, being on stage and having the crowd hanging on your notes and you know, um, like just being able to stop and kind of like walk up to the microphone without saying anything and have people like shouting and cheering and whatever. It's, I saw Slayer yeah. one time 
and Tom Reyes left, like stepped up to the mic and was at the Agora. That's <laughs> sick. Like, just, everybody just like started screaming and he hadn't even said anything. He just literally just stepped up to the mic like he was gonna talk <sighs> on a much smaller scale. That was starting to happen at our shows and it was like, there's just, there's nothing like it. Um, yeah. But um, but around the time we broke in, now Chasing the Rain was, I think, a successful album. I was happy with what we were doing. I felt like we were getting better musically. We were developing a, a unified sound that I only recognized in hindsight because I was still sort of stuck on myself. Um, right. I don't think I was as egotistical as people thought I was, but maybe maybe after listening to this, people think I am and was, <laughs> still am and whatever, I don't know. But, like... Um, you know, at the same time, uh, the band in Youngstown Jones for Revival had experienced somewhat of a split. Um, and, uh, my friend Dave Lynn, uh, had stopped playing with them and he looked me up and was like, Hey man, like he, I posted something on Facebook and was like, you know, I'm not in this group anymore. Here's what's going on. And he looked me up and was like, Hey man, I want I want to play with you. Like, let's get something together. And, uh, I had seen him play guitar and bass with Jones for Revival, and he was freaking amazing. Um, well, he's a product of the Dana School of Music um, at Youngstown State University. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, he's, like, musical royalty in that town. Um, he's, he is a phenomenal musician. Um, and he brought along a bunch of dudes who were fantastic. Tim Wilder, maybe the greatest bass player I've ever played with, probably the greatest bass player I've ever played with, but one of the best bass players I've, I've ever known. Um and uh, and 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 Zach Connolly, uh, who played drums with us, also just a fantastic drummer, product of Dana. Although I don't think he graduated Dana, he was just very dedicated drummer, dedicated to jazz and and just being like the right guy for whatever job he needed. Just crushed it. Jay Stevens, who had also been in Jones for Revival, um, played keyboards with us at very first. Um, and Dave and me playing my tunes from Alder Hall and making them like so much better musically than I could have ever even imagined, you know, based on the ability I had as a musician at the time. Um, me trying to build that band up as quickly as possible. Cause we ended up getting a gig really soon after we formed the band. So, and they were all so good that I could be like, all right, we got a gig in two months, but they, they're going to start promoting it in a month. So we got to get a website and some videos up so that, you know, we look like we're Together. a full fledged band yeah. before, you know, and we did it, man. We like we had <laughs> pictures and a website and a fucking a, like a, I put up a trailer that was like footage of us playing a song, and it was it was we really nailed that. And Have, um, having that crunch time makes that stuff yeah, cook. You know what I mean? It does. It does. It <laughs> really does. Yeah, we. I mean, I just we, I've reached so many musical highs with that that lineup that it was it was insane. Um, when did uh when did you call it? So figure this is. The formation of Figurehead, right? Yeah, it was Alex Hall's Figurehead at first, and okay. then just did, like with. So go ahead, sorry. Oh no, I was gonna say when, did, where did Figurehead come from? Because that makes me think of um, oh. <laughs> Fountainhead in a way. Like I, I don't know, it makes me think of the Iron. Figurehead's, figurehead's a general term that means like gotcha. somebody who like seems like they're the leader but they're not. Right. And um, like I, I remember having a conversation with somebody in Albert Hall one time, and them like passively referring to themselves as the leader and me like joking that they were the figurehead. Gotcha. Um, and okay. it was kind of me snubbing my nose at that person. But also I felt like 
at the same time, like I felt like a figurehead because it was like my group, Alex Hall's figurehead, but I was so obviously like right. not even half the musician these guys were. And like, you know, my strength was the songwriting and the ability to bring people together and like do it, you know? Right. Um, and very often that's what happens. You have a guy who's like not actually the greatest musician, but writes good songs and will motivate people to show up to rehearsal and do the gigs. And that's, that's a, what it takes. Yeah. That's know? a skill set in itself. Right. It doesn't like that's something you can't it's almost out focusing like you hyper focus on making this condensed narrative and then yeah. have to like, you know, it's supposed to shedding scales and be able to figure out how to make that narrative pop. You're really right. like honing on on bringing the people you're orchestrating. You're, you're you know, maybe the figurehead, but maybe the uh, conductor as well. Right. Well, and so Alex Hall's figurehead like was thought of as being like possessive, like, you know, yeah. Les Claypool playing Frog Brigade or whatever. But like it was really more of a of a of a contraction. Like I am the figurehead. Alex Hall's Alex Hall is the figurehead. figurehead. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it, cause it and it wasn't necessarily like the other band members, although I felt that way. It was more like it was the music. Like the music was really the leader. I was right. just, you know, the vessel or something. <laughs> like it's, I don't know. Well, um, but I liked the name and I, you know, we, it's cool. We, yeah. We used it for a while. Um, I did do the thing that I had done with Oliver Hall where at a certain point I felt like I wanted to bring the members of the band in, make it more of a unified effort. So, you know, we became figurehead for a while. Um, Jay left. Well, we sort of fired Jay. I feel bad saying that, but that's what happened. Um, I still feel bad about that. And I don't, I don't, I don't think, <laughs> he probably still has quite a lot of animosity towards me um, over that whole thing. And I feel bad about it, but um, he was such a phenomenal musician. Um, he wanted to play a full B3 and um, oh, I was all about it, yeah. but you know, traveling, that's, it that's made it lot. difficult. You couldn't make money and it was just, yeah, it was just, it was a lot. And I knew that going in and I had assured him that I wasn't going to be that guy, but I, I ended up being that guy and I, I still feel bad about it, but um, there's nothing I can do about it now. Um, so he was out. And then Zach, the drummer, he needed to take off because um, he was just like kind of going through some changes in his life, trying to figure out how he was going to proceed. If he was going to finish music school, if he was going to do something else, if he was going to yeah. move, what he was going to do. Um, and he ran out of time. So he passed it to his friend, Mark Motorelli, who was a phenomenally good drummer uh, as well. So I was really lucky to have him. And Tim Wilderoder, um, the bass player and I, we became really good friends. Um and uh, so it kind of be, we got to this situation where it was like, you know, Tim and me were really kind of the, 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 the creatives. Like we were the songwriters. Right. And then Dave was kind of the music director. OK. You know, um, and Mark was there, you know, doing his drum thing. And, and, <laughs> Holding and, it down. Yeah. And uh, man, the music just started to get so good. We we actually did have Albert Sandilli come and play keys for a while, but that didn't um, last. Uh Bert, you know, he just he didn't have time. I don't think to to to, to learn the tunes as, as much. And um, I like Bert a lot, but we uh, we 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 didn't we didn't jive really well together for whatever reason musically. We could stand in a room and drink beer and talk all day long, but musically we had a hard time. Um, so um, yeah, it's, it's weird. It's weird. Like it's this unspoken thing. Like you can be tight with somebody and like not have the same lingo musically. It's a it's a weird engagement like that. Uh, it's only one way to do it is to jam and find out. But some people can't jam, and that 
there is already, you know, what do you mean? There's no structure. What am I supposed to do? Like, that's already right. like a, one of those like lingo. Or it things. can be the opposite. Like, I don't want any structure. Like, well, right. Got, I mean, you know, you got to play in the chord, you know? Right. Like, this is what, this is the, well, that's the importance of kind of the songwriter, or at least for a jam band, because there is, you know, there's this fluctuation of a, of a piece, but what, where the resolve is is where the tune is, right? So you build up, typically a lot of jams will jam into the tune, jam in the middle back to the tune, jam and then out to the tune. So the tune's mm -hmm. like the staple of the piece. And if you don't have that... It's the touchstone. It, yeah. It's the touch, yeah. And if you don't have that, it's just, it's uh, it's the air. It's nothing except for where experiencing it. And like, yeah. uh, but that that's what makes or breaks certain bands in that type of scene. Like, uh, on a side note, um, Jones for uh, Revival is great. Me and, uh, we played with them for their anniversary thing a couple of years ago at the Beachland. Oh, nice. Were you playing with them? Like, were you jamming no, with them at all? Okay. They were I just jamming I with never you. played in Jones. I, I may have sat in with them for a tune or something one time, but, um, Jim DeCapo was one of those. He's very, very, um, driven. Yeah. Um, He's he's really um, he takes a lot of ownership over that band, and um, I, I got a lot of respect for him. Um, he's just you know he's he's Jim you know if you know him you know what I mean he's right. he's like he's all about music and 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 he's he's constantly making music and putting it out there and you know he's always got like a new logo and, and new awesome artwork and um, it's just it's like it's, it's it's his whole life man I really respect that that he's able to do that. Um, you know, uh, right. I think there was a little bit of like frustration because when Dave left Jones, it was like they had, I don't think they had the most amicable split at first. Um, and then it was like, here we were with this band that was like, you know, had members of, um, of Oliver Hall and of Jones for Revival. And so it was kind of sold that way sometimes. And, yeah. um, you know, people don't like when you do that. <laughs> well, yeah. Cause uh, now I'm not included and it, the split with any group is never, it's never clean, yeah, you know, it's, it, it's like a breakup. There's never, yeah. it's never clean. No one's ever like, oh yeah, we just came to terms and we're both going away. Like, nope, that, that's, that's, that's how you're telling your friends it, but that's not how it happened. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. It, I mean, it, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it, you're right. It's, every, it's a, such a cliche, but the analogy really is that it's a relationship and it is, it's, it's, it's like a very close friendship. And when you, when you say you don't want to be in the band anymore. It's like you're saying you don't want to be a friend anymore. Right, like right. You're breaking up with your friend, breaking up with your band, and it's like, it's just, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's messy. It's just yeah. always messy. But, um, but yeah, uh, I got a lot of respect for Jim DiCapua, and, but, but, you know, Dave was in our group, and um, we started out recording Oliver Hall songs that hadn't yet been recorded that I had written when I was in Oliver Hall. Um, and the, the first two like albums, right. The one was just self-titled Alex Hall's figurehead, right. Four tracks. One of which I think at least was Dave Lynn's tune, that, that tune credit hole. Oh, okay. Such an awesome song. It is a, that is a cool tune. Yeah. Um, I think I helped him with like a lyric, but that was it. Everything <laughs> else. Was like, yeah, that was his tune. Yeah. Um, and I was very much on the sidelines and happy to be on that yeah. one. Because it's such a fucking awesome song. Um, he, he let me take a solo in it too, which I thought, like, wow, man, like, you know, because he, he, Dave, like, what the hell, like, what am I doing playing Earned on the spot? Um, but that yeah. was cool. 
Yeah, <laughs> I got my merit badge. That's what he said at the time. Get your merit badge. Um, <laughs> but uh, so the so that one in an at the movies at the movies was another concept record, kind of based on the idea of Thomas Crimson's Gravity's Rainbow, like the people in the theater, like we're all the people in the theater sitting here waiting to all get blown up by, you know, like a nuclear right. bomb. Nice. Um, okay. and that was just it was kind of like the way Joe's Garage was like. He's like, how do I make this into a concept album? It's like same sort of thing. Like, how do I make this a concept album? See, I liked how that turned out. You know? No, it's a sick record. Um, and it's inter. I feel like Zappa, uh, like a lot of your influence, conceptual wise, and like, uh, um, through Oliver Hall and Figurehead, seems like there's a Zappa Pink Floyd influence. Like that's yeah. really where like I feel like your writing kind of is at at least now. Like maybe um, Oliver Hall's got a little more Grateful Dead vibe, but these two, like, especially with like Joe's Garage, that's a great example of like. At the, at the movies, you know, what I mean, like how to fit this thing in. Yeah, I mean, I I was a huge Zappa fan. I, I discovered him in high school. Um, some friends of mine and I like got into Zappa kind of all at the same time. We were like big Beatles nerds, and then we got into classical music, and then we discovered Zappa, and like at the same time as we discovered like Stravinsky and like all that weird early twentieth century like right. classical. Or uh, like orchestral music or whatever, and but the punk just, rock orchestra, like Stravinsky's punk is fuck. <laughs> yeah, it was like that. Well, just that dissonance, like weirdness. Right. Like it just, I was always, I'm always been drawn to that kind of stuff. Like just anything, the weirder the better for me. I mean, it, there's a line for me for sure, but like, um, yeah. So I mean, I don't know. I just the way that he took, like, my understanding of Joe's Garage is that like he he recorded these songs. They were all just like sort of strangely like related. And he wrote the story of Joe's Garage to bring them together. So it's all kind of like through composed as far as the narrative. But it's a rock opera. Um, and I love that. And um, with At the Movies, I wanted to do that. I had this idea. At the Movies is kind of funny because um, I, I wanted to, I was experimenting like lyrically with some of the stuff I wanted to do. Um, for a long time that I'd never been able to do with a band. Um, and uh, like some examples, like I did, uh, there's a tune called, um, what's it called? Oh, well, at the movies itself. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Self-titled. Self yeah. <laughs> that tune um, is, the lyrics are a screenplay. Oh, okay. So like, so, like, I say, contestant one, let's start a revolution. It, the way I wrote the lyrics is, like, contestant one is, like, that's the character's name. And then let's start a revolution is, like, what that character's saying. Contestant two, oh, you know, everybody knows my yeah, play. Yeah. And from the audience, in destitution, don't tread on me. I'll never have the right. Name. So it's, like, all this, like, it was a screenplay of lyrics. I loved that idea. Aldous Huxley did that in a novel. He had a novel. It was called a novel, but it was written as a screenplay. And I liked that idea. And then, um, uh, like conspiracy was like, I was really into Queens of the stone age at the time. And like the song is basically about people who like, will accept these crazy conspiracy theories, even though they're insane. Right. Um, well, that's more prevalent, I think now than ever. <laughs> I know it's a little prescient there. Uh, time on the take, um, was like, I, it's, I, that one's even hard for me to, to, to explain in hindsight. Um, but like Birdie, for instance, like I love, I was like drawn to this idea. Like I 
we were traveling down the road and there were like crows. There were like five crows flying and they looked at they were they looked like they were at the same altitude of like three little biplanes that were flying right. in the sky. Like and I was like, dude, like one of those things flies into the propeller and they're fucked. Like, <laughs> and like it's just like these crows just flying around going like we don't care. Like, you know, like, I don't know. That and the is. planes have to be like, okay, maybe we should, you know? Like, yeah. So, um, so I was really starting to kind of experiment, but that's cool. Um, yeah. And then signs, even like the thing with signs was, it was like, uh, uh, like, you know, how you like drive down the same road every day and then you like, you don't notice a sign. And then one day you're like, is that sign has been there? <laughs> um, using that as an analogy for, um, more concrete things it's but again like those tunes were all like almost all of them had been like oliver hall thing right i mean sounds wasn't but like conspiracy and time on the time on the take oliver hall actually was performing on stage birdie we demoed in a studio before the band broke up and at the movies was being played by oliver hall on stage too so that stuff was all kind of like the leftover shit you gotcha. know so, um, go ahead. I was gonna, no, I was like, um, so after that's when the real figurehead start stuff started, I guess. Uh, but yeah, what's like, it? Start stops. <laughs> start stop. <laughs> but like, yeah. uh, it's interesting. You ever um dive into Childish Gambino? And uh, well, I watched Atlanta, internet? but I haven't listened okay. to the music. Oh, okay. You gotta check out um his album because the internet, like, okay. it's it's based on a screenplay he wrote. And okay. it's not it's not like the lyrics are a screenplay, but uh -huh. the, it's all like lined up. It's this crazy in-depth concept. Yeah. Like it's it's really in Donald Glover committed 100 percent to this character. Even like when he was doing interviews, he was interviewing it as the character in the script that you didn't get unless you bought the special vinyl. Like <laughs> like I had no idea. Right. No, you, mean, you wouldn't know. Right. Unless you like dove into it. Well, it's like even like Deltron forty forty, like there was like, um, you know, there was like that was like a hip hop like rock opera concept record that right. like you didn't get as many of that those things. Even like the Kendrick Lamar to Pimp a Butterfly right. thing, like right. that that continuing motif pieces of the, the interview with Tupac, like yeah, that whole thing. It's just like it gets done all the time, and a lot of people just don't know it, you know. Right. And now we live in a culture where nobody wants to listen to the fucking record. What? I want to listen to the first 30 seconds. And if it doesn't grab me, I'm going to go find something else. Like, right. And I'm telling them, you know, my newest record, which I hope we're going to talk about. Like, yeah. No, I was hoping we would get 45 minutes long. Like, you know, hey, do me a favor. Go listen to this 45 minute record. You know, tell me what you think. <laughs> well, is it? Well, on <laughs> try that... to do it all in one sitting. If you can. <laughs> well, on that topic, never... that was a perfect segue. <laughs> I think. That Johnny, the newest record you have out, um, I think as far as a concept and how well written it is, like it, it's like top notch. Like, oh man, the, you, you so look much. at that album cover and you listen to the first couple tunes and you get this character and the narrative between it and the mute, how, uh, how you take the jam band essence, right, and place it with the narrative structure which is depicting depicting this tale of this person you're looking at and you get this mm -hmm. image that says i feel the image says more than enough and the music amp actually to put you in that mood in that in the, at least at least beginning to understand where this character is so where did this come from who is johnny 
Um, well, it's actually it's a real guy. Um, right. I was. Um, it has well, to be. Like. I, let me backtrack just a little bit and say, okay. like, you know, Figurehead had an album called Carry In that was like our last thing ever. Right. Um, okay. And I had written for the first time a couple of tracks um, for that album that were not politically abstract and were in fact telling a story. I can't remember who encouraged me to do it, but um, it just started to flow really naturally. So the, the, on, on the on the Carrion album, the, the tunes Marquee and um, and Carrion itself were more like, well, Carrion I guess is more conceptual, but Marquee in particular was about a kid I knew um, growing up who his dad had died. He was in the Navy. He was buried at sea. He had to come live with his mom. They moved to, or I guess they did live with his mom, but the guy was always out at sea. He died. He was buried at sea. They came back to Southwest Ohio to live, and um, and 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 he was like a couple of grades behind. So like he was two years older than me, but in my same grade, and um, he really um, like we just hung out all the time, like as kids, riding our bikes and just doing like dumb shit like <laughs> putting pipe bombs in mailboxes and like you know just dumb shit that like little you know like preteen boys might do um in the country where there was nothing to do and it was there was no internet <laughs> like you know not yet not really i mean it sort of was but it wasn't um, good enough yeah but like this poor guy like because his dad had died when he turned 18 he inherited a bunch of money and he was living um in a part of ohio real close to university town that um, was just heavy into drugs and he got heavy into drugs and he got a whole bunch of money. So then he got even heavier into drugs. He, um, injured himself on a job or something and started getting these, like, these like pain patches. Um, he would put on his back and they're supposed to like release medicine to help like with the pain that he had, but he started like cracking them open and like mainlining the medicine. Um, and he got a bubble and died. Like, fuck. Yeah, and he was like a real close friend of mine. We we hadn't talked for a long time, but I mean, you know, back in the day we had been like, you know, bestest friends in the world, right. you know, sort of thing. So I wrote that tune about him. His name was Daniel Marquis, spelled a different way, but the tune's called Marquis, and it's really about him. Um, I was so pleased with how that tune came out, in part because I had really developed an affinity for, not an affinity, I don't know if that's the right word, I had gotten real interested in like prog metal because right. of Tim Wilderoder, who was in Figurehead, the bass player in Figurehead. He oh, and I became okay. really close uh, friends and started to started to work together on tunes. So like that section in Marquee, the like the weird progressive section, he wrote most of that. And then like other stuff like um, like in Carrion, he wrote some of the like off tempo variations of the melodies and stuff in that tune. So those two tunes, I'm very proud of Marquee and Carrion. Um, and they were like Tim and Alex joints, you know? So when basically what happened with figurehead was in the end, we had four guys, Tim had to move to like central Pennsylvania and Mark moved to the West coast and it had nothing to do with the band. It was just like, kind of like life changes, you know? Yeah. So then it was just like me and Dave and, uh, he was in Youngstown and I was in Cuyahoga Falls. I was driving an hour, sometimes twice a week. And it's just like, you know, maybe we're done. No, no hard feelings. So I hadn't done anything for, and that was 16. We released that album, 2016. 
I hadn't done anything for a little while, and I just started kind of like playing piano a lot more. Okay. Um, trying that. to learn stuff on piano. I don't. I don't really play piano, but like, you know, when you write, I have, I had always found that when I wrote a tune on piano, it was a bigger hit with musicians. So like, if I wrote the tune on the piano and brought it to the band, they would like it more than if I had written it on the guitar and brought it to the band. Um, and that was just real clear to me. I had been playing a lot of piano and I wrote the riff for the tune called Dream in a Nightmare's Place on the new record, Johnny. Um, and that just kind of became a song. And then I thought of him as I began to write the lyrics and it just snowballed into a whole, a whole piece. So John, to get back to your original question, um, he was my exact age and back in the day when we were like in the probably fifth grade or something, his grandmother lived down the street from my grandmother. And like when we were on the weekend staying with grandma, so mom and dad could go do whatever, we would hang out and like play in the front yard, baseball, kickball. He had, there was a pool table in his grandma's basement. And like, you know, we were just always hanging out, but like we went to different schools and whatever. Um, so fast forward like 20 years and I'm maybe even 30 years. I'm in Cincinnati one time and I go into a, a, a skyline chili and, uh, there's a dude <laughs> working there and like, he looked just like John and I'm like, who is this, this kid? He's too young to be John. So I, I, I asked him, I was like, do you know John? And he's like, yeah, that's my brother. And I was like, oh, and I remembered this is like the little kid who ran around when I would go, you know, spend the night at his house and play video games all night. So this is his little brother, grown up. He's like, you should go see him. And I'm like, oh, okay. I'm like, well, where is he? He's like, well, we all live down at my grandma's house now, which is the house that I played at. I knew right. exactly where it was. Yeah. Okay, cool. Let's go down there, um, get out. And I'm like standing on this street, this house, and it's like surreal. Um, it's where the line. I stood right here on this old street a million years ago. Right. Like, okay. That's that's me standing there. Looking that's at the moment. Um, and his mom's like unloading groceries, so she's so I walk up and say, "Hey, do you remember me?" She did. Like, hey, I want to see. I saw Jake at the the, the, the skyline there, and he told me to come down and say hi. She's like, "Okay, hold on a second. She brings me in the house. And she has me wait in the doorway. Okay. It's weird. Yeah. Um, she goes into the room where he and I used to like play Nintendo and like where I would sleep on the floor, you know, whatever. Um, when we had sleepovers and stuff, and like, uh, closes the door, comes back out, and says, "Okay, you can go in." And I'm, it's weird, but okay. Walk in there, and there he is, man, skinny and in a wheelchair. And I'm like, what the hell? He's right. just very frail, fucked up, you know? Right. Uh, I knew that he had had drug problems and stuff yeah. over the years because I had like ran into him here and there or heard stuff about him. Um, I guess what happened was he had got appendicitis. Fuck. Yeah. And he had gone to the hospital complaining and they turned him away because they thought he just was trying to get drugs. Right. So then his appendix ruptured. Uh, um, and it, it fucked up his body real right. bad. Like, did did additional damage to his body. He was like airlifted to the hospital. Um, and, uh, the result was that he was so fucked up. In fact, that he was in a wheelchair and had like a, like a, like a, like a piss bag, you know, like the whole, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. whole nine yards. Um, and it just stuck in my head, this whole thing, you know? Yeah. Um, and, uh, and actually about midway through writing the album, 
I looked him up, um, and he died. He, he ended Fuck. up dying. I had not had an opportunity to get back in touch with him. Right. He was. I described some of this in the record. You listen to the words like he wasn't real forthcoming. He didn't really want to talk. Like I offered to like bring a six pack around to hang out. He couldn't drink. You know. I was like, well, you know, what can we do? I don't really do anything. I tried to call, just say what's up, didn't return my call. And yeah, so it just, man, just always kind of hung around in the back of my mind. And as I started to write these words, it's not an uplifting album. No, it, but it, but it puts <laughs> you in that, that's why it, it, music ideally we're going to convey something, right? And this yeah. album conveys this dude's journey, or at least your adaptation of it, you know what I mean? And it puts you in that and like everything about it. From like the narrative to the sonically, the chord progressions that like it, it does such a good job of conveying this. And like if you're looking at that cover, that's the fucking vibe <laughs> it puts you in. What when he when you remet yeah. with him initially, was he stoked to see you, or was he just kind of out of it and was like, "What's up?" You know what I mean? Like, I think that, he was. I think he was depressed and he didn't right. want to see anybody, much gotcha. less. Was this super you know, fresh when you ran into him? What What do like, you mean? Did that that just happen? Oh, had he been injured recently? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or has he been living like that for a while? Then you, uh, when you recaught up with him, I don't think it had been. I think like it had happened in maybe the last year. Okay. But I don't think it was like you know two weeks, weeks after. after or anything. Okay. Yeah, like. It was just so strange because, you know, so much emotionally for me, like being in that house, being on that street, my grandma didn't live there anymore. She was, she was dead. Um, and you know, his grandmother was dead. His grandfather was dead. His dad was dead. His mom yeah. was alive. And his sister was living in there with a bunch of kids that I'd never met. And apparently his little brother, when he wasn't working at Skyline was also, I mean, it was like a bad situation for all of them. Right. Um, made worse by the fact that he was not only like, you know, injured in this way and like, you know, like, but dying essentially. Yeah. Um, I didn't really realize how, how grave it was until, you know, after he died and I was like, you know, I had a hard time finding anything about it. There are some moments like here and there, like one of the things I describe in the, in the narrative is, um, and I can't think of like the exact lyric, but like there was this one time that I like, I went to his house um, his family's house and I had seen him, I had reached out to him was like, Hey, let's get together. And I went to, um, not his grandmother's house, but his mom and dad's house. Um, and this is, would have been like when we were like 21 or something. And, uh, he was like excited to see me and he had a girlfriend who was like too young, you know? <laughs> and like, he got a, he had like a handle of Jack Daniels and he proceeded to polish this thing off in front Fuck. of me. Yeah. And, and like before my eyes went from like, you know, my friend to this like completely blacked out, like insane person. And at one point he was yelling about how nobody ever better, nobody, nobody better mess with his girl who was sitting right there. Um, except, it, except if it was me, meaning Alex, yeah. like, you know, that's okay. Cause, cause you're my boy, you're my, you're my friend, whatever. Like, as if I'm going to like do that. You know like, I mean? <laughs> and, and of course, like his girlfriend is like, you know, practically crying in the corner right. as she's watching this all happen. Having to deal um, with this shit. Like, fuck. <laughs> like, yeah. 
Oh man. The, the, the opening track of the song of the album. The saw him once long after I was gone. He said, "You can take my girl after drinking uh, alone." Uh, okay, there it is. So that yeah, that one. yeah, that's such a good way to play. So you're right. There's a lot of like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I worked really hard on this album. I mean, I you know clearly when I when I was in jam bands, I it was like, you know, I wanted to play this. I want I really approached songwriting when I was in jam bands the way comedians approach like you know, working out new jokes and shooting a comedy special. If you listen to like, you know, Anthony Jeselnik or, or really any comedian, like they'll say, I write a bunch of jokes. I take them out on the road for a year. At the end of that year, when they're all tuned up and, and as perfect as they're going to be, I shoot the special and then that's right. what airs on TV. Those, so people see the perfect okay. versions. Yeah, yeah. That was how I approached like recording in a jam band. Let's just write the tunes, get them out on the road. When we have enough for an album and we feel like they're all tip top, you know? Yeah. Right. And we'll go record them. That's a good way to put it. I listen to a lot of comedians talk and I always think about that, but sorry, keep going. But <laughs> no, no, that's yeah. Like Jessel makes a good one for listening to him talk about that. Um, and I like Anthony Jessel a lot. <laughs> yeah, he's good. He's good. Uh, but, uh, with this album, I had always been encouraged. I got to credit Nate Doubt from Central Eight Studios um, in Akron. Uh, he's part of um, Diamond Kites, which is Jeff Flem's band now. Oh, okay, cool, cool, um, cool. Nate's just a fantastic dude, and he always would get frustrated with me because I didn't want to do stuff in the studio that I couldn't do on stage. Um, and I was real particular about that. Like, we can double the guitar, we can double the vocals, but I don't want a guitar track over here that people aren't going to hear when they come see us live. Like, right. You know, like, like Pink Floyd would have a million tracks but then when you saw them live they'd have like a 15 piece band so they could pull off every piece you know right um, i didn't want to do that um and i knew we weren't going to be able to add extra musicians for this sound it was like you know there isn't a live band um there's just there's just me in my house you know after everybody's asleep playing piano and, and writing lyrics and you know playing guitar and stuff and i i just was like i can do anything i want it was liberating um and uh, so, I mean, I, I spent probably six months writing all the songs and demoing them out, um, like with the primitive equipment I have, like like GarageBand and like a bass and a guitar and, a, and like a MIDI keyboard, you know, programming drums, whatever, um, and kind of getting a sense of what I wanted the sounds to be. Like, I want to have a Mellotron, you know, on, on a lot of this. Like, I want that King Crimson vibe. <laughs> alongside the Pink Floyd vibe and alongside the, you know, the Jackson Brown vibe that is even there a bit. Um, and uh, once I had that all done, it took me another like year and a half to get everything recorded. Right. Mastered. Um, and I had the idea for the, the cover. I had a photographer in my, my city here um, who, you know, came and took pictures of a, of a kid I know who's like a Kent State student. Um, with like a messy, you know, teenager's room. <laughs> um, I borrowed a, 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 a wheelchair from a freaking funeral home who keeps oh, them there shit. for the cancer yeah, yeah. club. Right. <laughs> got Fuck. Uh, a graphic artist, you know, um, who had designed stuff for like a political organization that I was involved with to, to do the, the work for the cover art. Um, I got a new logo um, from a buddy in Cincinnati. I mean, I really took my time and was like, it'll be done when it's done. And I had right. never done that you know okay not in that crunch 
allows it to f- yeah. fully bake. Like, yeah, and then so, yeah, it was Black Friday 2020. Um, I dropped it, so. Gotcha. Yeah, it's, well, that one, I thought that, I thought the cover was an actual picture of the guy, but the cover conveys that much emotion, no, no, you know I'll, what I mean? So yeah. that, that's, that's, uh, in a way, that's, that's more cool because that, like, you got to shape the narrative even, like, based on the music, as opposed yeah. to vice versa, as opposed to basing the music off this image, like, this image is based off what, what the music conveys, and I think, yeah. I, it's, every aspect of this is so well done. I really, I can't Thank remember, so um, I got, the reason I brought Pink Floyd into it was like, there's that fretless bass, was that you oh, playing yeah. it? Who, who's playing the fretless bass on that? Tim, Tim's playing bass on everything, okay. I don't Tim's... know if I mentioned that, but Tim from Central Pennsylvania recorded everything out there and sent it Sick. in, and then I got Zach, uh, the first drummer of Alex Hall's figurehead, right. to come and do the drums, Okay. Um, and then I played all the guitars, um, most of the keyboards, and sang everything, and then... I had a keyboard player who did a couple of couple of things right. um, for me, but mostly I ended up doing everything um, keyboard-wise. Some of it was like programmed, like I, I played it and then fixed it, and then you know sent MIDI files to um, the studio to like use better sounds. So, I mean, it's not as organic as as I would like to say it is, but you know, you're in the studio. Um, you're allowed to use studio magic. You know what I mean? That's, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Art itself. Well, if you're That's in true. there, it should sound like it came out of the studio. You know what I mean? It sound like it. It took all that time. It should sound like it. You know, and it does. You know what I mean? But it's okay to like accept that it's. I took this much time and put a bunch of shit into it, and it sounds like I did. Yeah, well, that's good. I mean, I'm glad it does. I, I really like it. It's the most. I have. I have. I'm the most proud of this, of anything I've ever done musically or artistically. Period. End of story. I mean, it. It it really was just a, a delight to go through the process and really just, you know, allow myself the time, like you say, to, to make it what I want and to, and to be willing. Sometimes you're in a studio and, you know, the sound engineer is just like, oh, man, it doesn't need to be like, it's fine. It's fine. But right. I was like able this time to be like, no, I want to, I want to take the time. Right. You know? And, uh, cause I cur- like curated the cover art by, you know, um, I got to give a lot of credit to, um, Stephen Mule, the photographer who, who took the picture, he's a phenomenal photographer to begin with, and uh, you know he he really brought his artistic eye to to my idea. Right. Um, and then it was like me and him standing there, and then my friend Patrick um, Catanese, who's the actual model, okay, um, sitting in this wheelchair that I borrowed from the, the, <laughs> the funeral home here in Cuyahoga Falls. Um, and I mean, you know, we're sort of we're like going, okay, we got to take that off the wall. We got to move some shit around, make the bed look messed up. Like, right. It was really me, kind of like going, okay, now I like it, so let's take the pictures. Then we'll process them. And I had a couple different graphic artists who did some of that, um, and just it was never right. I mean, right. It was like the first time in my life, I like hired graphic artists, paid them to do stuff, and then didn't use it because it wasn't right. <laughs> uh-huh. so, I'm <laughs> sick of doing this my own. Let's get someone to do it right. Fuck, I gotta right. do it. <laughs> well, you, I mean, I was just like, I, understand your own limitations. Right. And, and, no, no. You know, it's... and I like, and it wasn't even just that. It was like all of that, but combined with you know having. I mean, I was lucky to work with um, with Pete Trevere from Amprian Recorder in Youngstown, which is like a 30 year old studio. Dude is incredible. Um, uh, you had a guy on the show from who you talked about the Dead Boys, like um, uh, Pete. 
What did I talk about? The oh, I, I talked about the Dead Boys with. I remember, like, uh, oh shit, I don't remember. Oh, was it? Was it? Was it? Yeah, uh, that was in Black Flag. Okay, the send. Oh yeah, yeah, Bill Stevenson's. I was gonna say yeah. I brought, I've brought the Dead Boys a lot recently. But anywho, keep going, Pete. Yeah, Dead Boys. I think Dead Boys might really come up in, in your with Rhodes too. Um, but like, so Pete has like he played with guys I think who were like maybe in the Dead Boys. Okay, cool. Um, and like we're eventually in another band, and he still plays with them. They tour. They like go to Europe and stuff. So Pete's Sick. like a busy musician, right? But he's also a fantastic, um, you know, sound engineer, especially for rock music, um, and like getting great guitar sounds. I actually recorded all the guitar sounds on a Kemper. Nice. Um, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck um, it. She has in the studio. Yeah. Uh, and you know, really like. Looked he I, I call him a co-producer because he helped me with a lot of the sounds. He helped me with a lot of the, like the, the little intricacies. Um, and uh, and then he mixed everything. And we spent you know one session on every tune. So like I would you know hours per yeah. tune. Yeah. Uh, and then when that was all done, I went to Adam Boost at Cauliflower um, Audio in Cleveland, um, who I understand had apparently at one point remastered like like a weird Skinner box set or something. I mean, dude huh. masters all kinds of stuff That's from all sick. over the like spectrum too. Right. So, I didn't know that. That's um, cool. so yeah, it was really about like, you know, utilizing, um, professionals, you know, to do, to be able to execute what I wanted to execute and spending time and, you know, making this record that I think really conveys the emotion I want to convey, even if it's sad. <laughs> right. But that's, um, uh, it's in, with the kind of speak on that. It's, it's important to know your limitations, like you said, and utilize who can ever make who's the, whose skill set best suits that. Because I feel like nowadays, like everything is so DIY. Everyone's yeah. learning how to record everything on their own and do everything themselves. But you, there's so much of that learn time to make that thing. You almost lose that chance to really convey what you're trying to convey because you're learning yeah. the steps along the way. And like, so if you can just focus on the art thing and use your friend's ability to like make it sound sweet and, and then they're involved too. Now they're invested. Now this one project that you were so like focused on and stoked to do becomes this, the, your one friend had a little bit of focus in that too. And now it, it, it expands from that. And it ultimately, I think makes a better one, a better product, not product, but better, um, a better art, a better a way that you're, uh, what you're being said is amplified or, or, or crafted like, and it, it, it makes, it brings that same thing. You were going, that initial intent, you get to share that with more than just yourself. And like, it, like it's only specific people cause only specific skill sets you need to do it. And it's so, yeah. I, I don't know. It's so, um, under like not too many people do it now. A lot of people bite the bullet and do it themselves, which is cool. But also you need, it's great to share shit with people. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I, I was always the guy in the studio saying to the, to the engineer, like, not an audiophile. I'm not going to be able to tell, you know, the difference between subtle things. So same, same. I'm paying you to do that. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, and I, I, it's not about money. Like what the fuck ever. Like I, you know, I just want people who are good at what they do to, you know, to do that thing yeah. that they're good at doing and help and, you do um, it right. Yeah. And I mean, and I, I'm happy to pay somebody, for their work, you know, if I can afford it, <laughs> which I usually could key. not. Key. <laughs> um, yeah. But, but that was kind of, I guess that was part of like being able to take my time on this record too. It was just, you know, like not having to like, you know, have all the money up front, like just, you know, 
demoed everything out, brought it in, and then it's like, oh, it's the drummer's turn, so let's let's play everything but the drums. So cut the drums out, put the click on, let him do it, you know. Okay, now we got the drums. Let's correct any errors there might be, you know. Um, okay, now we've got perfect drums. Let's put the guitars on. Fuck. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, so I did all did all the all the rhythm guitars anyway. Did all the rhythm guitars. Um, did as much of the lead guitars as I could. Sent that all out to the bass player, who then added the bass. Sent the tracks in. Put that all in. Then did the key. I mean, you know, it was like so. Like, and I mean, there would be times, and of course the pandemic like froze a lot of this too yeah there'd be times i'd wait like two months between sessions um you know and and then and then there were times where i was doing like a session i think toward the end i I actually did like two or three sessions per week and he's in youngstown i'm driving an hour so i mean it was was very much a labor of love which is such a cliche term but it really was it was like i wanted to make this thing I felt like I needed to tell this story and I was ready to put out music. And I got, I got really into like, I mean, I, you know, I, I said earlier, I'm out of the jam band scene. Like I, it's not just like, I don't, it's not like anything against those people or that music or anything like that. I just, I got more interested in other music. I, right. I went through this huge thing where I was into screaming at his torsos, um, which is like a, like a New York city avant, like funk rock band. They're like, like jazz metal almost. And like, um, that dude played a seven string guitar. Um, and I, so I started playing seven strings. Whoa. Um, so everything on this record is, is played on a seven. How much did um, that fuck some, up what you knew? Like, cause the add in the extra low definitely changes everything. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I do it in drop a, so it's okay. like, it's like Another the equivalent fit. of drop D in a regular guitar. Um, but like that tune, um, it's called uh, Between, or what the hell? <laughs> it's like the new, it's like, I don't even remember my own music. Well, uh, I mean, we've been covering a lot of stuff. Yeah, The um, Years Between. Pull up. The Years Between is track three on Johnny, and it's like, um, there's like these real, like, like deep chords in that tune. And that's all because of the seven. And everything else almost has. Like there are these moments like on John now, even where like when the solo comes in, there's like these big fucking chunk chords that are happening behind everything. Right. People think of a seven string guitar and they're like, Oh, you're playing metal. No. Um, but I mean, there's certainly an edge to this music that I didn't have in my music before. Um, it's uh, an advancement of the sound that you got on carrying from, from me and from the guys that were in the band at that time. But, you know, I really embraced the seven and, um, but then after, you know, being into Screaming Headless Torsos and stuff, I was into a lot of like prog metal. I got super into this band called Haken, um, who are insanely good. And I still listen to their music all the time. A lot of the prog metal bands, though, like they're all trying to sound like the same thing. Um, it's a lot like that post-rock stuff that happened as a result of like emo kind of like yeah. breaking down. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's a lot of like guys like happen and it's all instrumental and it's like you know that stuff's cool but like my issue with a lot of that music is that like the subtleties between the bands are so narrow that like it's hard to even tell you know it's like they all just sound the same um and so i really tried to be thoughtful about that on this record like i wasn't making a prog metal album because i don't play prog metal i I wouldn't know where to begin I, i couldn't even get the tone that they get on instruments but like I was real cognizant of like, well, let me make sure that the tunes are in different keys and that they're, 
you know, that I've got different like time signatures. Like there's a tune in five, um, there's a tune in um, in three, there are tunes in four, there are tunes in seven. Um, I've even got like yeah. in uh, Dream in the Nightmare's Place, there's like measures of nine, like tucked between measures of seven and stuff. And <laughs> it was all in service of the music, not, right. you know. Not just, just for the skill set, but to convey the narrative. Yeah, it wasn't arbitrary. Yeah. But right. I mean, it was like, I was really thinking about a lot of that stuff. And so, you know, between trying to tell the story and trying to make a record that, that, that was, that was like, I want to say epic, not like in the sense of, Oh dude, it's totally epic. No, like I wanted to make an epic sort of thing. Um, and I think it feels that way. Um, you know, emotionally, dramatically, like it, it's got the vibe that I wanted it to have. And I'm just, like I said, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm real pleased. I want people to listen to it because of like, I want people to like, see like, especially people who know me from Oliver Hall. Like, right. I'd love for those people to hear this, this music and, and, and understand, you know, where, where I, where I've ended up. You right. Know? Right. And um, I bet they would hear where it's starting from. You know what maybe. I mean? I mean, yeah, I maybe you you might be better to talk about that because I guess if you listen to all this stuff recently. <laughs> yeah. I, I did kind of a deep dive and like, as far as thematically, maybe not, but like songwriting wise, you know what I mean? Like verse and chorus, it's not, it's, you can gradually see the more, like how you're saying, how you got vague to specific. But, you know, there was almost, I was talking with um, um, this guy from uh, the band, uh, Josh Carter from the Smoking Popes. Are you familiar okay. with that band? They're like a pop punk uh -huh. band from the 90s. Um, and like, they their whole thing was like he crooned like right so he was in this pop punk yeah. band but he was crooning in a way and it, it fit and like but it was it started off as kind of a comedic thing he was doing it to be kind of silly but it worked you know what i mean huh. and like there's this weird comedic cushion there's this weird like if there's this vague thing kind of like in the way that no one knows exactly what you mean you're more comfortable doing it you know what i mean like the maybe the arbitrary like um not arbitrary, but maybe like the vagueness of something allows you to start to express yourself in a way that's more genuine to hone it into a specific thing. And I think through our mm -hmm. conversation so far, you've kind of uh, narrated that. You know what I mean? What, um, okay. And like, so it became like, like how you're saying you're being political, but vaguely, and maybe no one will understand it but you. And yeah. like, but the more you do that, it's like comforting because you get used to putting your opinions out there and having people be like, yeah, this room's packed. This is sick. Singing along. Doing yeah. your Slayer bit on the mic and getting that, that <laughs> response. And like, yeah. and then eventually getting to the point where you're 100% comfortable with letting someone know exactly how you feel about this specific thing and making yeah. a whole album about it. Like, So definitely, I think, if we're looking at that narrative track like or that, that progression of writing, it's definitely there. And you you kind of walked me through it <laughs> like yeah right now but like um like right now <laughs> yeah yeah i'm nothing if not verbose <laughs> <laughs> but no i think it's really cool and i think um well sorry i thought we were gonna but um with like with this writing this did this cap that emotion like was it like because that's a heavy thing to see a friend go through and like it's something you can't just like be like okay that happened you know what i mean like I'd imagine like question. I, I think if I'm being honest with myself, like I was probably feeling pretty shitty when I started to write the music. 
like yeah. the like there was an expression of my own emotion in here somewhere you know at the jump and as we know like as artists the art helps you deal with whatever shit you have going on um it's an escape like anything else it's why artists say i think some of you even said on your show like i have to play like i can't it's it's therapeutic you know yeah um and i i truly believe that to be the case for me and i think that when i started to write this stuff maybe i was in a little bit of a dark place but it reminded me of this other thing I don't know that I was particularly like moved by John's story as I was thinking about it initially, not because I'm a terrible human being, but because like, you know, I, I just, I hadn't seen him in so long right? and it like, we weren't close anymore, but that part of me that would write vague political songs to sort of hide behind poetry um, you know, philosophically, I could say what I wanted to say in a way that only I would understand it so that like I could say what I wanted to say and not have to deal with, you know, right. backlash like posted. I'm sure some people yeah. got it though. I'm sure, you know, I mean, it's easy to write it off like that. I'm sure the, not the, you know, yeah. not the talk down. I'm sure a bunch of, you know, there's a fair amount of people like, Oh, what? I, I kind of get, I get that Wait, you know, I'm yeah. sure, and I'm sure you've come across that, but, um, sure. Well, Sorry. people also, like, they, no, you're fine. People also, like, get what they want. Right, um, right. It's the mirror. Lyrics. So, I mean, I, you know, yeah. whether they understood what I was talking about or, or assumed what they thought I was talking about based on what they heard, it doesn't really matter to me as the songwriter. It's just, I do think that there is a certain sense in which, like, I was hiding behind poetry for those songs, but when I started telling stories, like I'm in this group now called summit sky. So well, we talked about at the beginning, yeah. um, the string band and it's not a bluegrass band. It's a folk band. Um, but it's easiest to describe as bluegrass. I mean, we have a band instrumentations there. there. You got the band right. on the mandolin and hardcore bluegrass people would get mad if I called it bluegrass, but right. Well, um, <laughs> uh, that band, everything I've written is a story. And I actually just embraced that. So, like, you know, I, there's a tune about, you know, people in the Appalachians, like, and, like, the sort of bad things that happen to them. Um, there's a tune about, you know, like, a relationship um, sort of breaking up and coming back together. There's a tune about um, when I was a kid living in the country and, like, I used to see a, a barn owl, like, every time I went walking past the tree line and, you know... Um, like develop this like sort of relationship with this owl um just a lot of stuff yeah. like that it's been coming out in my writing um that really allows me to like to tell these stories and to be more open right um so maybe maybe this was all kind of part of that um it seems like it'd be like a hyper focus and, and maybe version. some of the sorry yeah sorry, sorry. well i guess what i was going to say that was too maybe maybe the emotion was somewhat of my own emotions right you know talking about this other person so maybe i was kind of hiding behind the story a little bit but at a certain point it became all about the story and it right. was no longer anything to do with me and every song and every word was about advancing the narrative like right. the years between 
I wrote A Dream in a Nightmare's Place first, which is way later in the album. Yeah. But like, um, you know, John Now, which is like the first, or not, it's like John the, Now that's first. It's the pre. It's like the prelude, the chorus. I was, that's why I pulled up my phone to look at the tracks because I didn't put them in my notes. Yeah. <laughs> no, John Now is like, so the, the prelude is like really like, I'm imagining him being like a drug addict and like, you know, like um, trying to, trying to hustle his family and people all the time yeah like he's up to his tricks again worst thing you can do is let him in you know yeah um but then by john now it's like now he's like in this terrible state so it's not linear it's the the, the quentin tarantino of concept albums it's like you know it's like non-linear um narrative and then but the years between was like you know the time between us being kids and us being um being kind of grown up and like going your own ways right so that allowed me like, some of those songs were really began as like, okay, how do I get from here to here? And then, you know, developing the tune and the lyrics based on that. Um, so it was like writing, I, I've written a screenplay and sold it. Yeah. Um, nice. Congrats. But <laughs> whatever, everybody, <laughs> isn't it a cliche to like live in the, the 21st century and say you've written a screenplay? No. If I said I wrote it in Starbucks. You'd laugh at me. <laughs> um, <laughs> Maybe a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> I always had a, a Dewey's coffee, what, or I don't know, fill in the blank, <laughs> local. <laughs> but, but I mean, I, I, so having been through that exercise in terms of narrative, right? Um, I think there was, there's something to be said for like the exercise here of going, okay, I've already said this part of it. I need to say this other part of it. And how do I get there? I need a tune that's going to bridge the gap, you know? Yeah. And, the years between was one of those. And like some of it is just imagined too. Like in mice in the basement, like we're in his head, you know, I couldn't know where he was when he, you know, when his side started hurting and he like didn't go to the hospital because he was too busy, you know, doing drugs or whatever he was doing. But I imagined that, you know, like that tune breaks down into like, like free sort of, I wouldn't say jazz, but it Movement. breaks into chaos. Oh, free. You know? I got you. Gotcha. I thought you said three. I was like, wait, okay. But yeah, all right. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And, and, and then, you know, and then I think the choruses were like, you know, the Greek chorus. Like, um, if you ever read like um, Sophocles, like Oedipus Rex, there's like the chorus that comes out and like tells you like what's happening, you know, and then what happened as a result of the thing that you just saw and what's going to happen now. You know, like, that's what the choruses are in the tune. Um, and if sick. you notice, like the yeah. prelude is like piano, and the, the interlude is, is acoustic guitar, but then the postlude is the same song with different lyrics, and instead of being just accompanied by you know one instrument, it's like the whole fleshed out version of the tune with like a big right. churchy organ solo and stuff. So it's almost like a it's, it's kind of like kind of we were talking about Kendrick a little bit piecing these things together and like yeah. putting them the, you know piece by piece and then together. Well, like I want to be high, right? Like right, the, right, the, those little pieces, <laughs> full circle, man. <laughs> but th- th- that's the beauty of it. So it is in there. <laughs> yeah, I we mean, were looking for it. We found it. We did. We did. We <laughs> way more, way more in depth than I want to be high. <laughs> but like, <laughs> right, yeah, a bit more. Yeah, but I mean, even even if you're sharing his story you know and sharing his emotion and thought because no one knows anyone's thought process but you know your thought process of him right and so you just trying to you know uh, um, take in the story and 
share it and convey like even like even if it is just a narrative based thing yourself is in that and especially with all the work and time that went into it which you can hear so like because you kind of um to speak upon what you said a little bit ago i think this couldn't be as impactful as it is if that wasn't there if it wasn't even if like the that relationship was distant 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 like mm-hmm. it, I don't think it would hit as hard or be as like immediate as soon as you hit play on track one, you get the mood. Yeah, you know I mean, I don't think it would hit that hard unless there was like this thing from within you conveyed in this project. Yeah, yeah, and if and if my own emotions hadn't been, you know, in that neighborhood at one right. point or another too. Yeah, right. I think that's true. You spend a lot of time looking at artists and filmmakers and, and you know authors and whoever and trying to get a sense of like why the stories they tell are the way they are and we, we tend to think a lot more now about you know what it says about them right instead of like the old way which was to like completely ignore you know the the artist and focus solely on the art um i think this is a lot more i think that really cuts off your ability to fully understand a work yeah. i just like i just really want people to hear it I'm I'm at this place now where I'm like, I'm not writing anything. Right. I'm thinking about a lot. I play in another band too. I play I play bass in another group. What's uh, the other group? It's like a just kind of it's called a, it's a rock trio. They're called the Moderns. Okay. Um. Uh, they were they used to be kind of more of a rockabilly thing, okay. and uh, they just all live in my city. And I was kind of like missing playing with drums because right. other band was a string band. So How'd I don't have any immediate plans to go ahead. What? I was going to say, let's talk about Summit Sky a little bit. How did that come about? Uh, Craigslist. <laughs> Craigslist. <laughs> you know. Craigslist, you're like, I. well, it's interesting because the jam band thing and the bluegrass thing kind of roll together. You know what I mean? Yeah. A lot of, and especially with the Grateful Dead realm. And, and I, I understand it now that I've like spent time looking into the Grateful Dead. But at yeah. the same time, I'm like, well, it, it doesn't, it's not A than B. You know what I mean? Like, it's. A slash B, you know what I mean? There's like, they're two different things, but somehow jam band crowd is very accepting of bluegrass cl- crowd, and I don't know if it's the same other way It's around. everything. I mean, I would say that, like, jam band fans, I mean, it, you can be any kind of music if you, like, have that cathartic, you know, feeling and emotion in your music. It, 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 yeah. it works for them. Most jam band fans that I know like a lot of different kinds of music, but you're right that bluegrass is definitely... You go to a bluegrass festival now, you see a lot of hippies, right. you know, and um, right. you go to a, but by, by the by the same token, in the in the 70s, you might have gone to a Grateful Dead concert and seen a lot of like, you know, um, sort of hillbillies, you know what I mean? Right. Because yeah. I mean, Jerry Garcia himself was in was in Olden in the Way playing banjo, and um, you know the the even like the bikers and stuff like were more into like the rock and roll and stuff back then. Um, I think that you know jam band fans do i mean like electronica is a big thing in the jam band scene now um and uh so like you know there's there's definitely a crossover between like like a lot of the the more successful jam bands now have some element of like of like dance music going on yeah definitely Um, definitely but but certainly they like bluegrass i just answered a craigslist ad to be completely honest with you i was looking for somebody to play with and thought you know, like I could go play guitar in an acoustic group 
if they're just like some dudes who want to play Grateful Dead songs on acoustics and like if right. they got gigs, like I'll go do it. Fine, whatever. Like that was okay. kind of my attitude. So it was Shitty, but chill. I, but yeah, but it was just like I'm going to go into this and see what happens. No pressure. Coming it out. It was of more these... like it, it, I can I can fake my way through acoustic renditions of Grateful Dead songs. If that's get... what they want. To do. As get... it turned out, that's not what they were. Okay. <laughs> at all. Well, so it, it's it's much cooler than I than what I thought it was when I saw the ad. Nice. And we've been together like three years now. Right. Um, but, uh, but know. yeah, it's cool. It's like these, they're guys who are like, you know, and they're like, um, like late forties sort of maybe early fifties. Um, and, uh, we're down to a four piece now. So it's like bass guitar, mandolin, and banjo. And, um, we're actually, uh, we're going to be playing in Columbiana actually, nice. um, on April 8th, they're doing a cool, like socially distanced theater seating kind of a thing. Um, so it's the first gig I've played in a long time. Shit. Um, but you but they're they're um, I I think I actually played an outdoor gig last summer. Okay. Um, but I've done a couple of things like with the Moderns especially, but but yeah, some of these guys like they're they, a lot. They were into like metal. These guys were like they run the gamut between like Rush and like super heavy metal and like Van Halen. Yeah. <laughs> and like, but like we're playing all the music. So we do some some kind of fun covers. We do like. Uh, Iron Maiden's Run to the Hills. And, like, oh, that's sick. Judas Priest's Breaking the Law. But we also do like Purple Rain. And, yeah, um, I think I remember Purple Rain. I don't remember yeah, that negative it. space. Yeah, um, we might have done it there. But that's um, awesome. it's, it's such a good outlet in a different way. And the focus, like, it's cool that this songwriting and this narrative writing had a chance to flourish in that type of environment because that's the type of music yeah. that's what it calls for. And to see it kind of oh, come really, together. Definitely. You know what I mean with songwriting? I, you know, yeah. that type of narrative-based totally. thing is where where it's at, and to see it kind of funnel together with Figurehead and and Summit Sky into what you've done now with Johnny, I think it's 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 like the cream of the crop, you know? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I, I I I guess I've given myself enough time to sort of like you know let all the ingredients cook, you know? Right. Um. And 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 actually, Summit Sky's we we're we have an album that's going to be coming out like pretty soon. Yeah. Um, nice. and so, and, and, and I wrote, I wrote the lyrics to the majority of the tunes. Um, although a couple of them were written by other guys in the band and they're also really good. Like these, these are good lyricists as well. Um, and they have, they have, they have cool ideas musically. Um, I came into that group and it was like, we've got like 30 tunes that we wrote and none of them have lyrics. So we want somebody who will come in and sing and, and write lyrics and, 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 and play guitar. Um, and, and the other guitar player at the time, we had two guitar players that like, wasn't real confident with playing solos either. So it was like, okay. you know, the, most of the solos go, come from um, acoustic guitar and banjo. And so I'm playing solos on the guitar and the banjo player is phenomenally good um, on all instruments. Um, but he's really, really good at banjo. So he, he shines in the group. And, um, and yeah, so I mean, I've written a lot of tunes that are stories there too. Um, I had another friend in Cincinnati who I lost. He was like probably like my best friend. Um, and, and I lost him a couple of years ago. And so one of the first tunes I wrote for that band was for him. So there's some emotion in that stuff too. Um, that I think will, will be familiar to people when they hear that album versus listening to Johnny. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I don't know if that's just where I am as a songwriter. I mean, I, I don't, like I said, I'm not writing anything else right now. For my for figurehead for for Alex Hall's figurehead, but I think that um, you know I, I probably will start 
putting something together. I just don't know if it's going to be like, is it going to be like, a, like, like another thing like Johnny, like Carrion? Is it going to like keep that trajectory going or am I going to like do something else? I would love to collaborate with other musicians um, to do just some interesting, like different stuff. Like, like here, like here, I've got a beat that's a little bit odd and I want to see like what you would do with it. Right. on your instrument so you add something and maybe i bounce it to somebody else and then they add something and we try and you know do some I've, i'm interested in that idea i haven't been able to make that come together yet um and then tim and i we still talk pretty pretty regularly and i think that if i had an idea for some songs he'd be into it so maybe maybe we'll we'll get some stuff going but um nice. yeah i mean i I'm, 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 I feel really like I'm in a good place musically as a musician. Like I'm, I'm happy with, with this product and I want to share it. I want people to hear it. I want to, you know, it's on all the like streaming services and stuff. And, um, I, I'm going to develop a website that's going to have all of my music going back as far as I possibly can um, nice. and make that Definitely. kind of like hub. Yeah, yeah. I think that'd be cool. And, um, just have a hub for all my stuff and, and just kind of tell people what I'm up to, even if I'm doing other stuff, like if I'm writing a screenplay or right. I take up watercolors or something. Like, you know, <laughs> well, it's not it, likely to happen, but you, know. you never know. But fuck, <laughs> if, you know, when you you get into things, you get into things, especially when, yeah. you know, we're locked down like we are now. But um, yeah. that's awesome, man. Well, I think I definitely more people got to hear this project because it's fucking awesome. And like you can tell that so much work and time and love has gone into it. So I hope the listeners from this go straight to that and check it out. I don't I usually um Yeah. Um man, we've been at it for a minute. How do you feel? I think we yeah, did we've good. Been on for a while. We I think yeah. we did good. I can talk. There's nothing there's No, I, I can love do it. anything else. <laughs> I love it, man. Um well, I, if like just I could just tell people like, you know, if you're on Spotify or Apple Music or whatever, um uh, just Alex Hall's Figurehead, the record's called Johnny um, and then, uh, I'm on, uh, Facebook, um, at, um, I don't know. Do people use links for Facebook pages? I don't think they do, but I'm pretty I, sure I, it's I put just... them in with the, each oh. episode, usually oh, cool. yeah. like on the YouTube video or the, the site, the podcast site. And I usually put everyone's info on that. You guys cool, had yeah, a website, a... but I couldn't get to it. <laughs> couldn't get those deets. There was an, I think there was an Oliver Hall website. And oh it, yeah, it's been it, a while, man. There, yeah. There's stuff on YouTube. Like, yeah. I have a playlist on my my YouTube channel that's got all the stuff that I did for Oliver Hall. Gotcha. Um, you know, in one place. Um, and then I think all the figurehead stuff is out there too. And then I have a playlist for Johnny that's like you know front to back in right. order. So if you don't have streaming service, you can do that. It's also on Bandcamp. And Bandcamp has all the, like, liner notes. Right. So, like, Bandcamp's a lot of the stuff we talked about today, you know, is in, like, I typed it in, you know, um, on Bandcamp. So if you really want to get inside my head, you can <laughs> can read that stuff. But, um, but yeah, I, I hope people listen to it. And I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to um, – so I, it's been out since November. So it's kind of old now to me right. just because I spent so much time with it. But Right. But I spent more time on it than it has been out. So, <laughs> right. Well, usually that's the that's the case. Like, and I I don't know. Like now with like a the 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 rate of stuff coming out isn't as quick. You know what I mean? As per pre COVID. So like, it, it's like there is stuff coming out, but a lot of the records that are coming out now are about being locked up with nothing to do. 
Yeah, well, but then again, the tone of this record certainly, like, you know, accompanies, like, it does. you know, the, but, the, the uh, pandemic depression. <laughs> yeah, it does, but it's not, it's different. But it wasn't written during the pandemic. No. That's, just was... <laughs> that's awesome. Well, hey, man, thanks yeah. so much for hanging out with me. Um, yeah, I'm dude, gonna... uh, I want to say thank you, like, for having me on the show, but also thank you for making the show. There's, I thought there would be a lot more shows about local musicians um, out there in this area. There's not. There's only, like, two that I really even found. Um, a couple of things that are, like, smaller, maybe, like, a, a quick feature or something. But, like, having somebody like you making a show like this to give musicians like me an opportunity to come here and talk. You know, here I am talking on a podcast that had a dude who Black Flag, you know, Matt Rhodes from Tropodelic, which is nationally famous, and me, who, like, I'm not really doing anything except releasing albums, like, that maybe nobody ever listens to. So thank you for having me, but also just thank you for, for making a show like this that, that, that really just there need to be shows like this. And so thank you for being the dude who makes that happen, like, for real. Well, thanks. I appreciate it. I really do. I, the kind of, uh, this all started from negative space, and, like, I nice. kind of just trying to hear everybody out and give everyone a platform. And like, I guess maybe this is the same way too. I've never really thought of it like that until hearing you say that. So I appreciate it. Thanks for hanging out.